Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. How's it going, everybody? This is Sports Guy 515, and I'm just doing this quick little intro to this episode, episode 82, to pretty much welcome myself, welcome Adolfo, welcome everybody back to Force Perspective. Um, we did take a little bit of a break. I think our last episode might have been in late June or early July. Um, but we are back. And, you know, this usually happens around July, August, around the summertime because of my demanding job, Adolfo's demanding job. So it becomes really hard to kind of sync our schedules. And as a result, we haven't really had time to release any shows up until now. So... Um, the episode you're about to listen to, episode 82, is kind of an oldie. It's an oldie but goodie. It's from, uh, from mid-July that we actually got to record this, but our schedules wouldn't allow the episode to be edited and, uh, put up in a timely manner. So, it kind of set on the shelf. So, um, with this, with this return, Force Perspective, we are going to be back, hopefully, on a weekly basis. Um, and it all starts with this episode, episode 82, which like I said, we recorded in mid-July, right after the release of Ghostbusters. So Ghostbusters is our main event film for this episode. So I know nobody talks about Ghostbusters anymore, but it did just recently come out on Blu-ray, so at least it's kind of topical. But, you know, I just, you know, we, we, the Dolphin and I, we love doing this show. We recorded this show just for you, the fans. So, you know, we want to get it out there. We want our work to be heard. We want our hard work to be published you know so um that's that's gonna do it for me um so next week we're actually gonna be wrapping up the summer even though the summer's been wrapped up for two months now we're actually gonna publish the uh end of summer 2016 episode where we basically review the rest of the slate including suicide squad and we give our our best and worst films of the summer and we kind of just rate the uh rate the summer films as a whole so don't miss that episode next week and then after that we're going to get to some more recent releases like magnificent seven girl on the train um sully and all those other films that are coming out the accountant but until then um sit back relax and enjoy this episode of force perspective we are back baby
right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of your favorite movie podcast, the alien fighting ghost busting duo known by its code name, Force Perspective. This is episode 82, The Resurgence of the Ghostbusters. I'm your host, Sportsguy515, and on this episode, we will continue our trek through summer 2016 with reviews of Independence Day Resurgence, The Conjuring 2, Finding Dory, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, The Purge Election Year, The Secret Life of Pets, and finally, Ghostbusters. Before all that, let me introduce my co-host, more charismatic than Jeff Goldblum on Prozac, ladies and gentlemen, Adolfo. I don't, uh, I don't know about that. Um, more charismatic than Jeff Goldblum on... Hmm. Okay, I'll take it. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, but I, I will say that. I will say this. It, it's it's July. Um, it's we're right in the middle of the summer season, and uh, it's hot out there. So I'm not sure about for sure. It, it's just totally hot. But you know what will cool you down and make you feel good? You know, on a hot summer day, a nice, refreshing push pop. Oh God! Uh, see, you 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 thought that up the moment you left the theater, didn't you? You're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw push pop in there somehow. I, I, I had to say it. <laughs> Pushing the pop. Pushing the pop. That's probably the, my favorite gag from that movie. We're gonna get to that a little bit later on on this show. But um, our so we have two main event films here. I'm gonna start with our first main event. Actually, it'll be jerking the curtain here. Um, it's going to be uh, a movie that I've been looking forward to pretty much all summer for the past like year or two years since it's been announced. Um. As a big fan of the original, uh, I was super excited for this. That's Independence Day Resurgence. And uh, much like any other curtain jerker, this really is the jobber of this of this ep- week's episode. Oh, you're getting ahead of yourself there, man. But uh, anyway, so before we get into Independence Day Resurgence, we have to invite our special guest onto the line. Uh, returning to Force Perspective, say hello, everybody, to Denon. Welcome back to the show, Denon. You know, every, every so many years, you, you I get a call back to come back on the show. And I want to remind you, the last, last time I did this was Amazing Spider-Man 2. That's and right. Now I'm, doing, now I'm doing this one. And I'm wondering, when are you going to let me on the show to talk about a good movie? A good movie. <laughs> That's going to be the consensus for this one, bro. But, uh, <laughs> I know uh, I know Adolfo feels the same way. But before we get into like the meat and potatoes of this film let's just get into the plot really quick so here we have independence day resurgence the sequel that we kind of asked for but then after seeing the film we probably didn't want um as and you guys know as a huge huge fan of the first film, i mean we even did a commentary track for it which you can find in the archives with mr Reddy. we had him on for that um i love i absolutely love the 96 original id4 film um this one takes place obviously 20 years later um a good reference to kind of get the backstory for it, which I pretty much went apeshit over when we did the uh, summer preview, was they had the uh, viral marketing, which included the War of 96 website, which you can go to right now, actually, and get the entire backstory of the 20 years between the original film and Independence Day Resurgence. The kind of set up. So I was pumped for this. I was hyped for this film with all the backstory and everything. I was like, okay, just give it to me. And it wasn't that great. Like, basically, the the plot is what's in the trailers. The aliens send their reinforcements and come back and attack Earth. I mean, I can't make it more simpler than that. Um, But before I get into my thoughts, Denon, I want to throw the floor to you because I know you're dying to talk about this. Um, Just 
what are your thoughts about Independence Day resurgence? That so I I game I came into this movie thinking it was just gonna be uh a throwaway kind of movie. Like I'm not gonna be mad when I walk out of it. Uh I right. wasn't hyped for the movie. I was just hyped to see Jeff Goldblum in something again. Getting a payday, absolutely. That's right. what we're hyped like, about. So I was just like, man, this movie's gonna be bad, but at least I can walk away with it. like, man, Jeff Goldblum was good. And like he was in it for what, twenty five minutes? Maybe tops. Bill Pullman was long. in it for like ten, bro. Yeah, Pullman was barely in it. Um, this like this movie didn't even hit. This movie it 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 was felt rushed. It felt just lifeless. Like this movie wasn't even two hours long. Yeah, okay, that's one of my gripes about this film. Actually, now just for starters. The beginning, the let's say the first twenty to twenty-five minutes were very, very dull, very, very slow-paced. Like you want to, you want to get to the action already, but it's like they're building backstory that we don't really need. If you pay attention to the viral marketing, which I get, you know, a lot, a lot of people do that. The casuals don't really follow all that stuff, but you know, I'm, I'm just sitting through this. And I'm like, I, I know all this stuff already. <laughs> you know, like just get to the action. Let's get to the aliens arriving. And no, like it gets to very, very dull half hour. They finally show up, and then after that, everything just feels rushed. It's barely a two-hour movie. Um, the original film was about two and a half hours, which allowed for, you know, to kind of get to know the characters, allowed to build backstory, build tension for what was going on. Um, this was barely two hours, and like I said, it felt very, very rushed. Like, I just wanted to get from point A to point B quickly well, without caring about anything else. Hold on. Do we want it to be more than two hours, though? I mean... That movie sucked. Like, do we want to sit more well, for like well, an extra thirty well, minutes? Well, here's my thing about about the time length. N- normally, I I have a huge complaint about these Hollywood blockbusters being these ridiculous two and a half hour, two forty five minute movies. I mean, I can still cu- I could cut thirty minutes out of Civil War and ma- and literally it would not change the plot of that movie. I can cut thirty minutes out of the new X Men. I can cut thirty minutes out of Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises. Some of these movies don't need to be that long. But like with Independence Day, Roland Emmerich is the dude who wrote the script on how to make a Hollywood blockbuster. Like he's the guy who made the what every summer blockbuster does. He did it with Independence Day 4 back in 96. That was him. Michael Bay's paychecks are all because of that guy. (laughs) And. So for him, I I think like with him, it's like, oh, I don't mind him having a two and a half hour movie because I know what he can do with it. But I don't know what happened in the 20 years between that and this, because I don't know if maybe the producers had too much to do with it or he was just pushed to a limit. But this was not the work I expected to come out of him. It just felt very weird. Like it, it's basically like once the aliens actually started coming back and attacking, like one one second London's gone, then two seconds later, oh Tokyo's gone. It's like you know there was no like um build up to it. It kind of just started happening, and I I just felt it just felt very weird to me. You know, like it it wasn't supposed to be like this. Like they're just kind of rushing through everything, and you know, like before I could even say boo, like the whole world was 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 done already. You know, and it was. It just, like I said, it just felt very weird. Um, and the CGI didn't help either. CGI looked very subpar at best. 
You know, how is it that in 1996 you can get more realistic special effects than in 2016? I just don't understand that. Well, because well, there's a big difference between the 2016 film and the 1996 film in that, uh, yes, the CGI, they use CGI in Independence Day 1. Uh, you know that that's obvious that they did, but all the put for a good portion of the stuff that they blew up that were they were practical effects. They were models that blew up, right? The White House very famously was a was a model that they blew up, and they used CG to enhance everything. Right. It wasn't all CG. This was all CG, and it looked like it was all CG. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the major one of the one of the many major problems of this film. What what was worse, this film CGI or Green Lantern CGI? Because for me, both were shit. You know, I haven't seen Green Lantern in a while. I only saw it once, and that was that one time, like five years ago. <laughs> so I can't remember how bad it was. I remember it not being great. Um, so so I can't compare. But it wasn't good. Uh, it, it was just it just looked so fake. It just looked so, it looked like a cutscene from a video game. It just didn't look right. It just I don't know. That was my main... Bro, if you remember from our first episode, which, by the way, we celebrated the anniversary of this week, um, I, I was my main complaint about Green Lantern, that the CGI looked like a video game cutscene. Like, I literally said that in that, in that first episode. Um, but and it's the same thing here. And it's, it's funny, like, on the way home from this film, like, the more I thought about it, the more I really ended up not liking it. Like, I didn't... We talked about it for a little bit. You said you ended up hating it outright as soon as you left the theater. Me, it took a while. Like, as I thought about all the silliness and the corniness and the bad CGI, it was just – I came to the realization that not only was this a huge disappointment, but I just and straight up don't like this film. You know I mean? As corny as the – and totally 90s as the original is, I felt there was more at stake in that film than in this film. I felt like, okay, everybody was expendable here as opposed to the original where I felt, you know, there was actual, like, tension and drama at stake there, you know? Well, I think what led to that was – the extra runtime and at that time uh the cast of that movie uh was so star-studded and you had so much time to really know these characters that you felt attached to them and you didn't want to see them uh die or or anything bad happen to them where in this movie you're just shotgunned characters these this the new cast you're just shotgunned with no backstory it's like liam hensworth here you go he's an oil rigger uh he was kind of military whatever here's his doofy partner uh he likes this asian chick here's will smith's son here's uh the president's daughter uh like them they're not there's no backstory like i like i think liam hensworth gets the most backstory yeah out of the, the group but other than that these are like blink and you miss it introductions yeah, and it's just not just that. It's uh, so you're absolutely right. The, the new characters completely uninteresting, uh, and the old characters are completely done away with, uh, except for Goldblum, uh, in kind of unspectacular fashion. Um, and poor Vivica A. Fox. I mean, I'm, the money must have been good for that. Like what two seconds she was in? <laughs> I mean, what was the point of that? Yeah. Like, what was the point of that? Like, even bringing her in. So you, you know, know? absolutely. I can tell you the point of that. I can tell you the point of that. That was the the point of that part was to show how pathetic of an actor that uh, was his name Jamie Usher is or something. Yeah, that kid was awful. You know what? It. it, it... <laughs> the, it oh, they, they couldn't get it so bad. So Will Smith, for whatever reason, like some say it was money, some say it was scheduling, whatever the reason, I don't really give a shit. Um, but if you can't get Will Smith, don't try for a Will Smith replacement because there's only one person that can do what Will Smith does, 
and that's Will Smith. So you had two people trying to fill in for Will Smith. You had the kid who was supposed to be his son or stepson or whatever from the first movie, uh, who is, you know, I, I made uh, I made white rice for dinner tonight, and I think it had more charisma than that kid has. <laughs> and um, Liam. Uh, Hemsworth, is yeah. It? yeah, Thor Jr. Thor Jr. Uh, he, like, he has some charisma, but like his character, I could give two shits about. I did not care at all about his character. Whatsoever. There was nothing unique about how he portrayed that character as opposed to how he played Gale in the Hunger Games films. It was just the same character. He was just a guy who was like, "Hey, let's get a good-looking guy to kind of say one-liners and do silly things, and then he'll he'll be Will Smith." And we also got his son, so if one doesn't work, we can we can use the other one. It's like, no, but neither one of them work. So like, it, it just neither one of those two characters were any were, were good additions. Uh, the president's daughter didn't care about her. Um, I mean, and like the the like the goofy friend with the Asian like lady. Like I feel like if this was you know 1996, that would have been like a whole extra 10 minutes of subplot that seemed to like go nowhere. It was like, oh yeah, I, I'm in love with her. I think she's so hot. And then it, they don't really ever do anything the rest of the movie with it until at the end we're like, she's like, hey, you're okay. And the, like what? The <laughs> exactly. when, when I walked out of this when I walked out of this movie. What what came to mind? I, I posted about it on Facebook. Is I paralleled this movie to Star Wars: The Force Awakens when it comes to casting, where these are two well-known movies. Obviously, Star Wars is a little bit bigger than Independence Day franchise-wise. Trying to reboot themselves, except one of them actually had a casting director. <laughs> I mean, you're probably not wrong on that, and and it seems like practically every character from the original film was wasted in some way. Pullman, like 10 minutes. Goldblum, like 25 minutes tops of screen time. Goldblum's dad, uh, Jude. Jude he, Judd Hirsch, like barely Judd five Hirsch. minutes of screen time, it seems. Vivica A. Fox, the, two seconds. At least Dr. Like, Oaken got something, you know? Yeah, Dr. Oaken got something. Which, well, he he uh, should have been dead, though. But yeah, but I call most of that because he was dead in the first movie. Yeah, like, didn't he was, in a coma. he was fucking flat out dead. Well, didn't, like, Pullman's bodyguard in the first movie, like, no shit check his pulse and then give, like, the he's dead sign? Yes. He absolutely did that. So that was a big ass cop out. And all of a sudden, it's in retcon. No, he was in a coma. Like, and then like, like I knew who Liam's Hesworth was. It took me a while to figure out who the president's daughter was, and then I realized it. And it's the chick who played the main girl. And that what is the name? It's that awful hipster horror movie. That awful. Uh, no, no, come on, man. It follows. That was a great film. I don't know. No, what it, you, no, 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 it let, let's not get into that now. I, I, it was but, a great film, but anyway, but she was anyway. in that. She was in that, and like that's it. And then the the Usher kid, Jamie Usher, whatever his name is, who, like I said, I I would have probably seen more charisma out of the bowl of rice. Which is uh, absolutely. <laughs> you guys are um, pretty spot on on that, and and not for nothing. The, the last, like, what, 15, 20 minutes was a complete, like, cartoon. The bus sequence oh, yeah. with the alien, like, oh, Jesus. I'm just I'm just sitting there like, really? This is this is, this is what's passing for, like, action right now? Like, you're not I, mean, I don't know if they're trying to channel the, the cheesiness of, like, 90s types of films, like what, what the original was, but it just seems so, like, ugh, like, so out with, of place. The, the thing is, like, when with the 96 movie is – you were so enraptured in the story or whatnot, you didn't give a shit about the stupid plot holes, right? 
And then in this movie, you just want to be over so badly, you just linger on all the bad things. Like, congratulations, you stopped the aliens from drilling into our core. There's still a giant hole, like, ten inches out of our core that the entire Atlantic Ocean is flooding into. <laughs> well, the, yeah, so let's talk about this this giant, like, moon-sized ship that lands on the planet, right? Now, I'm not a physics expert, but I would imagine that if a gigantic Asia-sized spaceship literally landed on top of the Earth, that that would have the that's really all that they would need to do. They wouldn't really need to like blow shit up because just by the physical act of landing on the Earth would cause massive like earthquakes and you know uh, tidal waves and seismic shifts in the, the the earth weighs a certain amount and when you put something that large on it that's gonna fuck up its gravitational spin it's gonna fuck everything up they didn't even need to do anything other than just land on it but for somehow it lands in the middle of, of the on top of the world and then nobody else really feels it except for the people directly underneath it that makes right. no sense like right. that should have literally destroyed everything like when a meteor hit the earth that was not that big, you know, millions of years ago, it killed all life on the planet. So I'm pretty sure something that big would pretty much do the same. And can someone tell me like, what is Hollywood's like addiction with like, like I'm looking at this movie. Then you have man of steel, uh, Avengers two, uh, transformers four. What is with villains now? Just using, picking things up with gravity defying objects and dropping them back down the way to wipe out our worlds. There's been like five movies now that use that. In the last, like what, like three or four years. Yeah. Like, what is this? Is this the new thing? (laughs) But I mean, it's to that point, you know, in 96, when you had spaceships go around the, around the world and blow up all the, uh, the, the, the famous landmarks, right. That was something that we really hadn't seen before. It was, you know, it was like, oh, look at this. This is th- that kind of level of destruction on film was not something that was it was a new and novel concept. And that's probably what drove a lot of people to the theaters back then. It's like, I want to see shit get blown up. I've never seen that before. That looks amazing. But in those 20 years since, we've seen plenty of shit get blown up. And whenever the, you know, the first thing, I think the first city we see go is London, maybe. London or, or I think Singapore. I, I don't remember. Uh, it's one of those two. Yeah. And it, it happens in about two or three seconds. And you don't really care. Like, it just so what? And, it, and some of it has to do with the fact that we've seen so much of that stuff already in movies it, since then. But also just because it just was poorly done and looked like a video game. Yep, you're yeah. not wrong on that. And and not for nothing, how about that, uh, that shoehorned... Uh ally that you saw like i think halfway through the film that's gonna now lead to a potential third film oh my god and i I love how like okay so literally dr oaken comes to them at the end of the film and says okay so you know they brought the fight to us we got them now we got to bring the fight to them and literally after he says that it's the credits like it just ends who approved that the last words of this movie should be we let's go kick some serious alien ass do you know what that is a that is what you. That's what you should have been doing in this film. Yeah, that is out. That is straight out of like a video game. Like that is, shouldn't be in a cinematic film. No one should be uttering the words "Let's go kick some alien ass" and then roll credits. 
And then literally, movie. literally after that, they have the, the classic end credit scene from the original film, which is not as epic now as it was before for the original. But, oh my goodness, oh. it's like, not even a third film? Really? They sh- I thought this was going to be the definitive end to this. And it's like... Yeah, oh, oh and let, let's talk about this this third alien, this, this new alien, because this is... Me and my buddy talked about this. They, when they talked about, you know, they had to keep the alien hidden because the queen was going to come after or whatever. Why did the queen leave the mothership if when what she does destroys the Earth anyway and that alien is going to be killed in the impl- in the implosion of Earth? Why would she leave the mothership and put herself at risk? You're asking the wrong person here. <laughs> like, like, we won this war because of bad writing. There was no reason <laughs> for her to, to leave the it. mothership. There was no reason. They literally said, once it hits the Earth's core, we will implode. Thus, the alien she's trying to find will also die. Why did she leave the protection of her heavily shielded heavenly armada? Also, if we have this technology that we've been using from the aliens 20 years now that it's advanced our civilization all this way, A, why are we not just pumping out the virus that killed them the first time through radio waves constantly? And B, why do none of our fighters have the fucking shields? Oh, it's – bro, I mean you're making great points, but why don't you go call like Emmerich up and tell him, bro, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like in like – in the 96 movie – I didn't give a shit about those plot points because it was such a fun ride. I didn't care. Yeah, but this exactly. One... But the but because this is not a great film, you start paying attention to plot holes like this, and it just makes it ruins it even more for you. Yeah. And like what? And like, did Donald Trump approve of getting the woman president absolutely murdered? Like the was that was that like Donald Trump? Like, oh, she did nothing, bro. Like I don't. Some... I, I have no idea what her point was. She gave the big speech at the beginning, and then the next scene she was dead. So yeah, like, like, like did Trump like throw money at him? Be like, this is gonna happen if you vote Hillary. Just, just, this is gonna happen. Like, what did he? And, <laughs> I don't and let me tell you, let me tell you something. I'm in the military, and I love William Fitchner. He is a, a phenomenal actor, and he did the best he could in this movie with the shitty role he was given. Well, he was only in it for like 15 minutes. Right, but. And he gets sworn in as president. And again, I wouldn't linger on this if this was a good which movie. Is, which should be if, – if this film was built properly and the characters were built properly, that should have been a big moment in the film, and it's just another throwaway. Well, for, well, here's the thing that like blew my mind is he's a I, – I had to look it up because it, it was bothering me. He is a U.S. general. For him to become president, not only is the entire cabinet dead, but every – uh, two-star general, three-star general, four-star general, including the Air Force, uh, three-star and four-star admiral um, in the Navy, and all uh, – like, literally, he's not even, like, top 20 in succession. He is just a U.S. general. We're talking he's, like, 70th, 80th-something in line to presidency. Yeah, it, You know, I would have been fine with that if they stopped and explained that, but they didn't. <laughs> like, you just like, saw you saw the president get killed in one scene, and the next scene's like, "Hey, guess what? You're you're in charge now." Yeah, and it's like, I was like, he, I was like, he was the attorney general, right? No, he's just a general. There's like, there's a lot of people in front of, in front of him. Like, did they all shove them in that bunker in Colorado like fucking idiots? And why is the <laughs> entire, and why is the entire cabinet hidden in one same spot? Wouldn't you split them up? 
which is what they did in the original film. They split the president up and uh, and Robert Logan, <laughs> and everybody else went somewhere else. And then that third group was the helicopter that got blown up when the White House got blown up. So it's like in the yeah. in the original film they were smarter than that. <laughs> oh God! And then uh, we're talking about just the destruction of the old cast. Um, uh, Goldblum's love interest never mentioned, never talked about, and he just has a new one now. Yeah, Charlotte Gainsbourg, by the way, who is a uh, Lars von Trier's favorite actress, it seems. But uh, you know, notwithstanding, um, she was pretty useless here too. She had no point. Yeah. She had no point. Goldblum had no point. The only thing Goldblum does in this movie, and this pisses me off because I love Jeff Goldblum. The only thing that Jeff Goldblum does in this movie is introduce uh, the audience to the African warlord and the guy that looks like John Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, That's all it's, he does. It's all he does. And like he kind of has a backstory of Liam Hensworth. That's it. He he knows Liam Hemsworth from something. Yeah, what was that whole like that subplot with the African like generals and like their, I their like guerrilla warfare I, group is like that that was weird. I thought it was just like to to explain the e, the the ESP that apparently you get if you're next to an alien, like maybe to explain it, and then like that character didn't go away though. Yeah, because they were saying even in, in like the backstory, like on the on the site, that like there was some like guerrilla warfare going on in Africa with like the remnant of the original group and some shit. I I don't know, but I, it was just very confusing. And it seemed like where they were, like where the uh, where that whole like colony was, was like the main point where they were drilling, you know, or like yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, if we don't have any other points to make, I guess I, to sum it up, I could just say. See, at first when I when I started writing up my notes, I was calling it a thumbs in the middle, pointing down. Now, after like really talking about it, it's a thumbs down, man. No, I this mean, movie sucked. This, I I, this I, is, I felt like stuff. everyone was just going through the motions. Like no one was important. There was really nothing at stake, even though the film's trying to tell you otherwise. Not once did I believe they were in any real danger. And then to top it off, like the the they really overdid it with the cheesiness, and I hate bringing it up again, but the stupid school bus scene was ridiculous and didn't belong there. Um. Yeah, Dude, the school I, bus I was scene, so hyped for this. Wait, man. hold on. The school bus scene isn't even the worst of it. The the worst of it before then was how the fuck did this old Jewish man survive a fucking tsunami in his tiny little ass boat? Like, how did that even happen? There you go. That's that's another point. <laughs> like, it, it, even 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 if I I could I, buy the fact that his his boat wouldn't have been like torn to shreds along with him like he would have just had a fucking heart attack i'll tell you exactly so why he survived because two minutes before that tidal wave hit him vivica a fox got killed so they were trying to swerve us like oh no it's another beloved original character getting killed and no he's not really dead that's exactly why it happened no they had a they they, they waited to the end of the movie so bill pullman can literally die for no reason Ugh. If, if this like, was, like I said, if this was a definitive battle and he died there, like a la Randy Quaid, that would have meant something. But now all of a sudden, Dr. Oak can say, oh, no, there's more of them. We got to go take the fight to them in space. Fuck you, man. Well, he didn't even, he didn't even die definitively in battle doing anything. The alien queen had extra shields because, again, we don't have the virus anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. His, his sacrifice was completely meaningless. It's completely meaningless to the story. Like, he he sacrificed himself and then... 
By the way, still not dead. Alien Queen's still running around. Exactly. Oh my god. Oh, well, and, then he did a, nothing. He did and fucking of course nothing. His daughter, and of course, his daughter is a fighter pilot, too. It's like, really? <laughs> also, by the way, uh, you gotta love at the end of the movie that her and the Asian girl are so, are just in tank tops, sweating with like see through white tops. It's like, you guys got out of those jumpsuits really quick before the end of this movie happened. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, I was I, I, I was hyping it up throughout my little Facebook statuses. You know, I'm ready for this film. I can't wait for this film. And after really talking about it with you guys now, it's like, fuck this movie, bro. See, you like, know, like I wasn't really all that excited about it. Like I I I I loved the first movie when it came out, and uh, I was. I think 16 when it first came out and uh i saw it in theaters several times i was super pumped for it you know and but too much time went by and like too many other movies came out that kind of upped the level of, of game for the blockbusters that when this was announced i was like um, I'm, i was like all right i guess it's like little it's like 15 years too late but uh, i guess i'll go watch it and then when i saw the trailers i was like uh, uh. but there was enough like there's enough there, like in the concept that made me want, that made me think before I saw it. I was like, okay, that that's cool. Like the concept of, hey, we destroyed these aliens and we took their technology, and now we're super advanced. That's a cool concept, and that's a that's actually a good idea. That's but why the I love the backstory. Yeah, huh? No, that's why I love the backstory because if you go on that website, basically it tells you like the basically the steps they took to adapting the alien technology over the twenty years. And everything that's happened, and I, that made me even more excited. But just like you said, the execution. yeah, but that should have been in a that should have been in a movie. Like it should, like you know, uh, viral marketing stuff is cool and everything. But you got, you can only judge a movie by what's actually on the screen. And if that wasn't on screen, I don't care. So like it, it, it was a cool concept, but they did nothing with it. You know, all they all they did all they showed was, hey, our our uh, fighter jets have lasers on them now. Okay. <laughs> Like, but they, they didn't actually do shit with it. Like, yeah, I don't fighter think... jets have lasers, but yet they didn't adapt the shields from yeah. the other ships. You know, also, like, we, also have... we were able to make right. a spaceship with like claws and shit on it. Like, the they can go to that? the moon and they can like travel to the moon in like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> also, we have plasma rifles, but we still use nine millimeter handguns. Oh, I, I think I think I, I I've said enough about this. Uh, you guys could oh, yeah, wrap yeah. up your thoughts, Denon. Like, what's your overall thoughts on this? Other than it's shit. Like, when I saw the trailer for the movie, I was like, well, that's about ten years. Exactly, it's about ten, fifteen years too late. I was literally just seeing that movie to because I hadn't seen like Pullman or Goldblum and really anything. And I'm always down to watch those guys, you know, put in work. But they were they were menial they they serve no purpose to the greater point of that movie um uh, roland emmerich was the guy who invented every trope that hollywood blockbusters follow and then he failed at following his own tropes in, <laughs> in this movie. and just like you had an awful young cast that just lacked charisma or any personality like when liam hensworth is the most charismatic guy of your new cast fire that fucking casting director immediately um just yeah it's just but the CGI yeah was... but at the same but casting directors don't really do the big roles that that's on roland emmerich liam casting liam hensworth on is on roland emmerich because that that's one of the main roles like the casting director helps out with that stuff but like 
for a main role like that, the director, that's his say, you know? Oh, so, right. I agree. That's, so, that's, so, totally, that's totally on Roland Emmerich. I'm not going to get a pass on that. I don't know how they could film the 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 guy playing Will Smith's son's reactions to Vivica A. Fox, his mother's own death, and the way he – it was literally like I was watching Troll 2, his acting. <laughs> it was literally that. And, like, I don't know how Will Emmerich at that point did go, cut, you're fired. Like, we we need to get a different guy. Like, I don't know how he can go forward with that dude. Like, I don't know – like, if they're – I wouldn't be surprised if he gets recasted in the next film because i have seen if there is if there is because this movie did not this movie bombed it bombed hard i mean according to box office mojo it's uh it costs 165 and so far worldwide it's made 337 so 165 it's usually uh twice that to promote the movie so it's Mm -hmm. about breaking even more or less right now and breaking even is not where they want to be. And it's already been out for three or four weeks at this point. So right. at this point, it's not going to get this last resurgence. It's not like Star Wars last year where it just kept making – every week that went by, I was like, oh, there's another $70 million. Oh, there's another $90 million. This is like – it's made the money it's going to make. It might get a couple million here and there, but it's made the money it's going to make. So – and home video sales are not gonna are not going to be enough to put this over the edge. I would be shocked, honestly, if they if they went ahead with a third movie. Yeah, I would be stunned if they made a third movie too, unless they're unless the con, they're contractually obligated to make this third movie. Uh, but overall, this was this was garbage. This was I literally thought I, I wanted to walk in just walking out like, oh, that was okay. I didn't mind seeing that. It didn't feel like a waste of time. This was a waste of time. This was something I don't even think I would even say pick it up on Redbox. Like, just completely past this movie. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know what else to say about it. I'm even nervous to uh, recommend it to people who are fans of the original like myself because they're going to go in and walk out disappointed, I think. No, I would recommend this to literally nobody. (laughs) Literally nobody. Not fans, not non-fans, not sci-fi fans, not anybody. Like, there's no, there's no audience that 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 for this movie that I think exists because, uh, it's it's crap. It's just a crappy, shitty movie. And I mean, it it is kind of given a shitty summer for the most part, so it's not really that surprising, I guess. But, uh, yeah, this movie was horrible. Yeah, and this was me, uh, like, it was similar to Man of Steel in my respect, my personal respect, that, um, you know, I walked out of the theater, and then as, as on my trek home, you know, I'm thinking, okay, it, was, it wasn't that bad, it wasn't that bad, and then when I finally got home, I thought about it a couple more days, I'm like, yeah, it was bad, it was bad, so, um, yeah, very, very disappointing, um, especially with me, like, I keep harping about, because I am, I'm just a huge fan of the original, and this was... This was just pure dog shit. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, um, Denon, we want to thank you for coming on for this review. And uh, we'll be seeing you again very soon, I hope. I mean, we do have the uh, My Favorite Film series that's coming up. And I know you have your pick. We're not going to reveal it here yet. But um, we look forward to having you on for that. Well, I'm definitely excited for that. Uh, I can talk about that movie all day to anybody. And uh... Let me let me try to figure out which awful movie is coming up soon that you're gonna call me to do. Uh, <laughs> God knows what well, they're remaking King Kong. I'm sh- they're doing another King Kong. That's probably gonna be awful. That's probably gonna be my next one. Well, with the way your tastes seem to you know kind of differ from ours in a lot of respects, maybe Suicide Squad. 
I don't know. Oh, I... <laughs> yeah, that's that's a hard pass on that movie. <laughs> but hey, at least that one got Will Smith. <laughs> that's true. That's the one the movie that Will Smith did instead. That's true. Um. Anyway, um. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we're gonna see you next time, Denon. Appreciate it. All right, bro. Well, can't wait. See you guys. All right, later. All right, everybody, so that was Denon on the line talking about Independence Day Resurgence with us. So with that, we're going to move forward with our show. Um, our next film here is another one that I was very excited about, and unlike Independence Day Resurgence, it was actually pretty damn good. Um, that's The Conjuring 2. Now, as we've said, we've reviewed The Conjuring, the original film, on Force Perspective. You can check it on the archives. Uh, Dolph and I are very big fans of that film, as was Big D. We had him on for that review. Um, so I'm going to give the floor to Adolfo. You can... Just give us a little taste of what the plot was for Conjuring 2. Yeah, so The Conjuring 2, um, we very favorably reviewed The Conjuring 1, uh, what was it, three years ago, two years ago? When did The Conjuring About two one years ago. Was it 2013? I think it was 2013 that it came out. Then it's probably then uh, three years ago. Yeah, so three years ago. And we very highly, uh, favorably reviewed that movie. Uh, and it's one of my favorite horror movies uh, pretty much in the last 10 years. Um, it, it was, uh, it kind of, you know, took the world by storm. It was a very highly profitable movie. So you know that they had to come out with a sequel at some point. And they had a spinoff before they got the sequel, which we talked about in the show as well, called Annabelle, which was oh, a God. steaming dog shit. Crap. Um, so I was a little nervous about Conjuring 2 going into it. And, um, you know, I saw, I did see the, but, you know, once I saw the trailers, I was like, okay, it looks, it looks better. It looks better than Annabelle. Uh, and the the trailer itself is actually pretty cool. So um, much like uh, the Conjuring one, this takes uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, the uh, paranormal investigator, the real life paranormal investigators, uh, to go and investigate the um, the Enfield Poltergeist, a very famous uh, haunting story from from uh, from England. I'm just gonna quickly read the synopsis here. In 1977, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren come out to a uh, come out of a self-imposed sabbatical to travel to Enfield, a borough in North London. There, they meet Peggy Hodgson, an overwhelmed single mother of four, who tells the couple that something evil is in her home. Ed and Lorraine believe her story when the youngest daughter starts to show signs of demonic possession, and as the Warrens try to help the besieged girl, they become the tar- the next targets of the malicious spirit. Um, so, it, it, what's interesting about this film is that, much like The Conjuring 1, it takes real-life events or purported real life events. It kind of put puts Ed and Lorraine Warren in them and then kind of make and then Hollywoodize them. It's it's my understanding that uh in the original case that Ed and Lorraine Warren were very 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 tangentially involved with the with the case. They were barely even they barely even worked it. Uh but this movie kind of retcons that and makes it seem like they were kind of um uh, that they were very important to to the, to the case in, in and of itself. Um, now, what's interesting about this film is that uh, half of the film is is pretty much build up uh, of the uh, of the Hodgson family by themselves trying to figure this out while Ed and Lorraine are still in America. Um, they they come to London pretty late in the film. Um, but once they're there, they get he- pretty heavily involved. Uh, I-, I enjoyed this film. Uh, I don't think it quite matches up to The Conjuring 1. It's not quite as good. Uh, but to me, that that was a hard act to follow in general. But it's a pretty worthy successor to, to that film. Um, and I-, I very much enjoyed it. I thought 
I thought the atmosphere was good. Um, the the cinematography was excellent. The acting, especially by the little girl who uh, who gets possessed or not possessed. Uh, yeah, she gets possessed. I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, she she's she's fantastic. Um, it's just not quite. It, it's not quite as good as the level of the Conjuring. Like the Conjuring, if the Conjuring is an A, this movie's like a B plus. But I still very good horror movie. Yeah. So my. I guess to kind of top off my review, to kind of start it off, um, it's pretty much more of the same from our boy Jimmy Wan, but that's not a bad thing. Um, like you said, like the great atmosphere for the film, um, but it was like basically like the same atmosphere as the original film, which was both like great, scary, tension-filled atmospheres, and you know it, the plot really thrived on that. But uh, great performances by Patrick Wilson, and especially Vera Farmiga as uh, Lorraine Warren. Absolutely loved her portrayal here, and she was kind of like the center of all this, it seemed. Um, and like you mentioned already, a stellar performance by a newcomer, Madison Wolf, who played uh, Janet Hodgson, who was a little girl who got possessed. And uh, this is just me being like the mark for the horror film mark, but I love the whole Amityville like prologue that they had at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like the first film, like it had great effects, it had a very engaging plot, um, which is based on real life or purported, like you said, real life events. Um, the uh, there was a lot of very good jump scares here. Um, you know that like that's kind of been more popular in horror films lately since Paranormal Activity. But you know, Conjuring One utilizes it very well, and Conjuring Two utilizes it in the same effect. Uh, very good jump scares at key points in the film. Um, and, and if I can uh, if I can jump in there for one second, it, it uses the jump scare uh, appropriately. Like there are way too many movies out horror movies out there now that do the, the jump scare. That's a bullshit jump scare. Right. Right. In, in other words, Annabelle like, was where, full of them. Where, where there, where all of a sudden the sound drops out of the film and the, 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 the protagonist is just kind of walking around and then, you know, screeching violin, loud noise. And it's just like a cat or, or it's something, or like, you know, it's just somebody, you know, it's somebody else. It's not really a ghost or whatever. This actually, do, this movie doesn't do that. It earns all of its jump scares. Exactly. Um, it, it, to me, uh, I guess my problem with the film was that it wasn't quite as scary as the first one. The first one terrified, like was legitimately terrifying. This one was good. Um, the, 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 they were well-crafted uh, scares, but I never felt that sense of dread that I felt with the first film. Like, with me, it was basically, like, a similar experience watching this film and watching the first film. Like, I got the same amount of, like, dread, the same amount of horror from it. Um, But because he didn't really do anything different than the first one, you know, that's why, to me, like, that, that's why – that's my nitpick with it. That's why it's subpar compared to the original Conjuring. It's basically more of the same, like I said earlier. But that doesn't mean it was a bad film. It's just he didn't really take it in any new directions. It was just the same thing, which is not a bad thing because I like the first Conjuring. I like this film as well. But it's – built on like the uh the scares it's built on the acting like all that kind of combined was is what makes it like a really great watch a great film and i don't know if they're gonna make a third film i don't know if they've announced anything about a conjuring three but personally i'm more than satisfied if we just have these two that's good enough for me i would imagine they're gonna make a third film uh, i don't know if james wan will do it but uh, i i i would imagine they will do one just because i mean it the the way the films are set up it, it like both films end with a satisfactory note, but uh, like you know, like w- w- the protagonist, you know, uh, I don't want to say happy ending, but they're they're the, the, you leave satisfied with the film, going okay, that was good, everything was wrapped up nicely. Um, but 
you know, there's still leave enough kind of things in there that you could still make another movie if you wanted to, especially with the, and I mean, especially with the fact that they're, you know, paranormal investigators, uh, they can always, you know, it's like, hey, it's just another adventure. You know what I mean? So, um, it, it lends itself to sequels. Um, I could totally see James Wan doing, or I'm sorry, I could totally see another one, regardless of if James Wan does it or not. Uh, what I could cer- certainly see if James Wan doesn't want to do another one because he's busy doing Aquaman. Uh, right. He, he could certainly sign on as producer and then have somebody else do it, um, which I wouldn't really like to see. But yeah, I, so far, these two films have been very good. I, I've, I've enjoyed both of them. Um, the There's a couple of things. I guess, you know, the first film, all of the scares and all of the – most of the stuff that you saw on screen I think was like a practical thing or makeup or things like that. Whereas it not necessarily the case here. Like most – a lot of it was. But then you had the – what's his name? The tall man or the slender man? The what crooked, was his name? A crooked man, the, I think. The crooked man. There's a so scene I have a thing about that too, but I'll let you go first. There's a scene here where the crooked man comes to life and – it looks and it's like a C, big CGI thing, and I kind of didn't like that. I mean, it was creepy looking. Don't get me wrong; it looked creepy and it, it belonged in a horror movie, but it just felt out of place in this film, in my opinion. I agree with you that it felt out of place, but for a different reason. Um, he wasn't the uh, he wasn't like the main villain, but like he was somebody that like the main villain or the main like I guess ghost or whatever you want to call it used as a scare tactic for the family, but. Just watching that, and I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, this doesn't look right. This doesn't feel like it belongs here. It feels like this. It feels like something's gonna come out of this. I just don't know what, you know. And then I think literally like a day after I saw the movie, I think you posted that they're gonna make the spinoff about Crooked Man, like they did with Annabelle. And I was like, there you go. It was basically shoehorning in like a a reference so that they can do a a spinoff. Uh, I don't believe that was me, but. Uh, I can there see was that somebody. Happened. I think I, I think you commented on it. It might have been a big D that posted it then, but um, yeah, it was. I saw it on somebody's wall. I was like, "Crooked Man spinoff coming!" Like, "Oh, great! That's what. That's exactly why they put him in there." Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's why they put him in there, but I certainly, but I certainly think that some studio executives thought, "Oh, this looks good. We can we can use this. Let's make a let's make a movie out of that." Because at the end of the day, horror movies are very cheap to make and they're usually profitable. We'll get so to that with the, we, we'll get to that with Purge as well, but you make a very good point. Uh, I mean, let me look, quickly look up Annabelle real quick. Um, let me look at the Annabelle box office here. Uh, let's see here. According to Box Office Mojo, uh, Annabelle uh, cost $6.5 million to make. Its worldwide gross was $256 million. So... As horrible as that movie was, and as terrible as that movie was, the studio executives don't give a shit. It made a shit ton of money. So, it, because they're cheap, they, you know, horror movies are cheap. So, uh, I can totally see some studio executives saw that, saw that crooked man and was like, all right, we're going to make a $6 million movie out of this. And, you know, even, you know what, even if it doesn't, even if it just makes like $20 million at the box office, there, that movie will like you know get play you know they'll they'll sell TV rights for it they'll sell home video for it it's it's a very cheap investment that will almost always make its money back. Yeah, I mean I agree with you on all those points. It's just it seemed like his placement there after I really thought about it seemed very premeditated. Like they knew going in they were gonna make a spinoff. Maybe it wasn't a one thing; it was a studio thing. But 
to me, it just felt very premeditated that he was even in there because he really served no true purpose. Yeah, I, and and then well, I, I did kind of have a thought about well, I wonder if they're going to do anything with that. Whenever they put the little toy in the little museum of cursed objects yes. or whatever at the end, um, which both times that they kind of lingered on it, you know, it, it, at the at the end of both movies, you're like, huh, I wonder. So the other thing, from a logic perspective, I have to wonder is they're all the way in in like like northeast uh, United States, right? And then this is all happening in London. But Lorraine gets kind of called there. You know what I mean? Like she sees like the the scary nun in her dreams and her visions and stuff. And then when if she gets there, it kind of, you know, leads to this whole thing. So like I, I mean, this might be getting into too like nitty-gritty nerdy stuff. <laughs> can like can like ghosts like call out to you across an ocean like that? I thought they were kind of limited to like the the area that they've hunt, they're haunting. You know what I mean? I don't know, man. I've never heard that. I thought they could call you I'm not, wherever, I'm not, I'm not whenever. Like supernatural lore, like as much like some other people might be. So I, I actually don't know how to answer this question. But it just seems like did she get called? Like did she it seemed like she was pulled there, right? Yes, that, that that was the idea. Or no, well, not really. Not that she was pulled there, but she really wanted to avoid it because she saw. Uh, um, Ed's death in her in her um yes correct that that was stuff. set up with the uh, Amityville thing the prologue but it just seems like how did that demon or whatever you want to call it I don't know it just seems weird that like such a lo- large geographic area you know it could have that kind of effect you know I don't know <laughs> anyway um before we get too off, too much off track no 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 it's, it's okay but um just kind of to sum up um. If you like Conjuring 1, you're going to come out with a similar feeling of Conjuring 2. It's very well made. You know, it's Jimmy Wan. You know, we, we expect nothing but the best from him. Um, it's pretty much, you know, he uses the same tropes, kind of the same uh, special effects, same uh, same actors. But it's it's a very well made film based on the Enfield Poltergeist. And, uh, I mean, for horror fans, I mean, it's basically everything you asked for. So I, I do have one thing I, I want to mention real quick real, uh, on this. So I, I did... Um research i never i didn't research it beforehand but afterwards i, I was kind of curious about what the infield port what happened with the infield portkeist and everything like that and it, it's pretty much commonly thought to be a hoax you know uh, at this point um and what i thought and, and like i said earlier that the 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 warrens were barely 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 involved in the case um but what i think is you know i don't care about what happens in true life right like i only care what's on the screen and how and and I've never been interested in like how it really went down or not, right? Like if you watch Braveheart, William Wallace did none of that shit, you know. That, yeah. but, but it's a good film because it's entertaining. It yeah. doesn't to me. It doesn't matter because you're not you don't go you, you shouldn't be going to films looking for truth. You should be looking for, you know, uh, whether the story is being told in an entertaining fashion or an artistic fashion, whatever. Um, so I didn't care that they got the, all the facts twisted around or retconned them to make to make their story work. But what I did think was funny, or not funny, but um, kind of amusing, was that in the film, there's a point where – I'm not going to give it away because I just think people should go see it. And it's still in theaters. Um, there's a point where something happens where it casts doubt on – whether Janet is telling the truth or not. And uh, it, basically it, it's, you know, it, there's, ev- there's evidence shown that 
potentially she could be faking it. Even though up to this point we've objectively seen her being haunted, there's there's a and, and the audience doesn't buy the fact that that she's um, uh, from an audience perspective you don't buy the fact that that what's happening here is is fakery, but there's evidence that it could be right. And what I find amusing about that is that this particular thing that they showed on screen was one of the things that in real life uh, they used to show that it was fake. So I would that, so I think it's funny that they like used that and addressed it, but then later on kind of said, yeah, but this is, this is why she was faking it in that one particular moment. You know what I mean? So I think that was kind of interesting. That was kind of cool twist to put on that too. I I agree. But like we said, you know, it's definitely, definitely, uh, definitely a great film. Like if you're a horror fan, like I said, you're going to be definitely satisfied with the, uh, with the film, especially if you were a fan of the first one. Yeah, it, it, it it's a good series. I think the Conjuring was very good. The Conjuring two, not quite as good, but it's still. Um, I mean, when with my point earlier about how they, you know, horror movies are cheap to make, but because and but they have huge profit margins. Uh, what, what, as a result of that, you get a lot of horrible, terrible horror movies in a year. So it, it's it's almost rare when a really good one comes along. And so this is a really good one. It's not the best horror movie in recent years, but it's very, very good. And it, it's a nice little gem to have like in this somewhat stagnant summer that we've been having. So that's another plus. Yeah, it, it's – oof, yeah. This summer has been brutal. We'll get to that at the end though, but – uh. Um, so that's Conjuring 2. So now we're going to move on to our next film, and we're going to go a little kid-friendly here with uh, Finding Dory. Now, when they first announced this, when was it, like three or four years ago, I think, whenever it was, um, I was a little skeptical because I was like, well, Finding Nemo doesn't need a sequel. I don't know why we're even going to even discuss this, but um, here we are with Finding Dory, and you know what? I was pleasantly surprised with this one. Um, so basically to get the plot started, on this film, uh, you start the film as a flashback. You start the film at, with Dory as a as a small child. Let's just call her childfish. I don't know how, what the proper term is for that, but um, you see her, and you know it kind of gets into your uh, to your brains that she has like a mental deficiency, as we kind of saw in Finding Nemo. Um, what basically happens is that like your parents are trying to get her to like you know give her like these visual clues like to remember where she lives and how to get home and all that but of course she gets separated from them and she when she gets too far she actually forgets how to get home and after after enough time passes she just forgets she has a family period which kind of leads her to bump into marlin that infamous scene from finding nemo and kind of the that film kind of starts rolling from there but we kind of bring it back to the present day which is set one year after the original film where uh dory suddenly i forgot what exactly happened in the plot to have her remember, but she remembers she has a family, and then the kind of the, the plot basically becomes you know Dory has to find her family. Um, so that's basically like the basic plot summary um, about this film. Um, it's a very engaging story, like Conjuring Two. It's a very engaging story, if not a little bit cookie cutter for my taste. But I did love that the film was centered on possibly the most popular character in this series. Like you think it'd be Nemo, you think it'd be Marlin, but you know, everybody was crazy about Dory, quoting the Dory quotes when that movie came out. And uh, she gave a lot of uh, quotable lines here as well. Ellen DeGeneres on fire here. She's as witty, as funny as ever. And you have a stellar voice cast here. So not just Ellen, but you have A. Brooks. That's a joke for Simpsons fans. Back as Marlin. 
Uh, you have Ed O'Neill, Ty Burrell, Idris Elba, Kate McKinnon, who we'll be discussing more later on on this episode. Um, Sigourney Weaver, who we'll probably talk about later as well, and a lot more than I can remember, but they're all a part of this film. Um, the animation is phenomenal. It's up to the typical Pixar standards that you've come to know and love. And I also love that you have the uh, typical blend of kid and adult humor, so there's something in it for everybody. Um, it's a very enjoyable field goal film overall. Um, perfect family fair. Um, I definitely think that if you're a fan of the original Finding Nemo, you're gonna you're gonna love it. I think. Yeah, it, it's it's perfectly it's a perfectly fine, acceptable summer kids movie that I'm sure in a couple of years I'll be watching over and over and over again. Um, the it, it's 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 cute. It's a cute right. movie. It it will probably win an Oscar this year because Pixar it's always Pixar. wins the Oscar. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a very entertaining film. It certainly pulls at the heartstrings. Um, I it's just much like The Conjuring two to The Conjuring, it just the the first one set the bar so high that it's really hard to match up to that first one. Uh, it tries tries really hard and it's it's very good. Um, I really like the uh, Ed O'Neill as the Hank the Octopus. Uh, I really like Caitlin Olsen as Destiny the the, the whale shark, and the uh, Ty Burrell as the um, as the beluga whale. Um, but it's it's not it's just not quite it just does not quite to have that magic that Finding Nemo does. Uh, but it's still very good. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's really not much to say about this because you know it's a kids movie, and you know ba- the 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 point of these is as long as the kids come out happy and enjoying it then that's pretty much it. they've accomplished their point you know but i do love that a lot of these kid films do include some like adult humor some like little side things that only adults will get so like, i way they just could kind of stake in it for them too as well but i mean a lot of these pixar films especially you know appeal to you know both kids and adults in different ways and i think that's what's made them so successful yeah yeah it, yeah it's just i mean it's kind of hard to talk about this movie because there's not really it's not a, it's not offensive in any sort of sort of, sort of I mean, and I don't mean actually offensive with controversy, but it's not like offensive like you're not mad at it. You're not, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's unlike unlike Independence Day, we're just like fuck this movie. Like it was, it's a, it's a sequel to to a movie that came out you know, thirteen years ago. Shit, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thirteen. Uh, thirteen years ago, but it's it's still fine. Like everything still works. Everything's amusing. It's it's cute. Um, and Jesus, like the. Little baby Dory, the animators who oh, little baby Dory had to like it's like they got a directive from up on high to like <laughs> make the cutest possible thing you can possibly imagine and put it on a screen because it's like the biggest freaking eyes I think I've ever seen on a fish in my life. You know, it's like the cutest little thing you're ever gonna see. So like so so uh what's the word I'm looking for? So like uh manipulatively cute you know what i mean oh wow that, 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 that's, a, that's a strong it, word there it is it's so manipulatively cute it, but it, it's fine it's it's very entertaining you know everything everybody's good here the voice cast is very solid um you know the animation is on point um did you see the uh the um did you get to see the uh animated short beforehand oh yes yeah we got to talk about that a little bit yeah so the pixar short was called piper it was about the uh i think uh, it's about the pipers which is like the 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 birds i forgot what their the sandpipers i think is their full name but uh, that was a very cute story so i i like this one honestly better than the one for uh inside out which was the lava one that one was kind of annoying but yeah everyone hated lava <laughs> yeah but this one was, uh, was a nice step up 
Yeah, no, I, this one was really good and it was beautiful to look at too. I, yeah, I, 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 were amazing. Yeah, it it was absolutely fantastic to look at. So, um, you know, it was it was a very entertaining experience. I think, uh, uh you know, I mean, it's a thumbs up movie. Like, it's just, you know, I I, I don't have I just don't have that like overexcited feeling. Ahead yeah. Of the first film because the first one was so wonderful and this is just this is just very good. Yeah, it's just very good. You can't really, like, not recommend it, but it's not something, like, you'd rush out to go see. But it's very good. Very good uh, step up to, oh, hey, look, shells. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I just got slightly distracted there. But anyway, yeah. So, um, like I said, if you're a fan of Pixar in general, if you're especially a fan of Finding Nemo, you're, you're going to like it regardless because it's just, just well made. So, so I said earlier... Uh, well, you know, and it's like, there's nothing controversial about this movie, but actually there is, I just remembered. Do you remember the controversy? Behind oh, God, I think I, I, I briefly refreshed myself on that when I was kind of doing notes for this. Um, so, the, after this, the lesbian couple, right? Yeah, after this movie came out, people got out, there were some people who got upset. And the, the typical people, church groups, politicians, like Christian moms with nothing else better to do, about the portrayal of a lesbian couple in the film. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But this is before I saw the film. I was like, that's interesting that Disney's doing that. So I watched the movie, and this lesbian couple is so blink and you'll miss it that I don't understand how anybody could have any... First of all, nobody should have a problem with it anyway, because it's 2016 and get get the fuck over it. But even if even if you do have a problem with that, it's like the way it's treated in the film... You don't even realize it's it's not really even that obvious they're a couple. It could just be two friends, it could be two sisters. <laughs> right? Like they're not holding hands, they're not kissing. It's just like there's just two women that happen to be hanging out. You know what I mean? Relax. It's got I heard kind of the same thing about the uh uh but to not to, to bring it back to Independence Day, the the how Dr. Oaken and his little buddy are gay. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that actually. I didn't. So read at the very, so you know how at the very end when uh, doc, spoilers, and you know what, I don't care because Independence Day sucks, so I'm gonna spoil it. At the very end, when uh, Doctor Oaken and uh, his friend, who like was like looking looking after him all these years, uh, when his friend dies, he goes, "Baby," and then like avenges his death. Apparently, like Roland Emmerich has basically said that they were a gay couple. Uh, it wasn't blatantly obvious. But they were, and people got upset about that too. Ah, uh, well, I didn't catch that to be honest with you. But because at that point, I, I was pretty zoned out. But uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's just silliness, silly silly controversy that people have to be upset about something. So yeah. Uh, it, anyway, it's fine. It's it, it's if you have kids or if you um if you have kids and you need to take them to a movie, this is perfectly good movie to watch it's not it's not minions you're not going to want to kill yourself afterwards um it's, it's we'll get very, to that later by the way it's, but it's very cute and you know lovable and yeah yeah there you go that's finding dory um so now moving from some kid-friendly fare to a little bit of raunchy fare uh we have mike and dave need wedding dates so this for, for me before i let you start adolfo this was the film that for me the trailers won me over. Like, the trailers were just so silly, so over the top. You know, Adam Devine was, like, he's, like, probably the main reason why I went to see it, because his line delivery here, and we'll get to, I'll get to my thoughts on the film as well, but his line delivery for all the jokes was, like, so spot on that even the silly ones, like, made it work for me. But I'm going to let you start. Um, Give us a little bit of the plot for Mike and Dave, and uh, we'll take it from there. So Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates uh, is the, it's kind of like the raunchy comedy for the summer. Um, 
it is uh, two guys, two brothers played by Zach Efron and Adam Devine, who are who are kind of like um, what Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson were in Wedding Crashers, but like younger, basically. Yeah. Uh, they're two brothers who just kind of go to weddings and parties, and they have lots of fun. They think they're the life of the party, but what they truly are, they always end up fucking something up and 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 making a huge mess of things. Um, uh, their sister is gonna get married. And uh, her sister has requested that instead of, you know, turning uh, another family event into like them trying to pick up girls and, and make and turn everything, make everything about them. She, she asked them, please bring dates so that you're not focused on trying to hook up and, and causing a causing a ruckus. And you just focus on your date so that, you know, I can relax and I have to worry about you two idiots. Um, and so they. You know, because they love their sister very much, they agree to this, and they put an ad on Craigslist uh, saying they need, you know, two wholesome girls to come with them to Hawaii. Expenses paid, uh, and this is where you cue in uh, Anna Kendrick and um, Aubrey Plaza, who are the kind of—they're almost kind of like uh, the two girls from a broad city, where they're just two kind of loser girls, that, you know. Getting drunk, getting stoned, uh, barely holding down jobs, always broke, and they see that an opportunity where they can, you know, go to Hawaii, expenses paid, uh, you know, manipulating these two bozos into, uh, into taking. <laughs> uh, and and then once they get to Hawaii, you know, hilarity and antics ensue, and you can probably guess where everything goes from there. Yep. Um, I saw this movie today, actually. So um, uh, it was kind of a last-minute decision. I had some time to kill, uh, so I was like, "Yeah, I'll see. I'll see. I'll squeeze one in." Um, I have no expectations for this film. I had literally zero. I had seen the the trailers. The trailers were okay. They didn't really. They didn't win me over or anything. They were just like, "Okay, whatever." Uh, and uh, went into it with very low expectations and. Honestly, they were kind of exceeded. I'm not going to say it's like it was. It's hilarious. It's not the funniest. It's really thing. not hilarious, but it's it's decent enough. It, it, yeah, it's not the funny. It, it, it's the raunchy movie. It's the raunchy summer movie. But in the in the history of raunchy summer movies, it doesn't really pan. It's it, it's not like, for example, Wedding Crashers. I think Wedding Crashers is a funnier movie than this. Um, but it, it's. It's fine. It, it's very entertaining. I was never bored. Um, I think Zach Efron and Anne Devine have, have really good chemistry together, comedic chemistry together. Um, Zach Efron. So this, I think, might be the because I haven't seen Neighbors. I know you have. Uh, I've never seen the movie Neighbors. So this might be the first Zach Efron movie I've ever actually sat through. Um, <laughs> you know. He, you know, as guys, we're kind of predisposed to like anytime there's like a hot new pretty boy to be like, yeah, fuck that guy. You know, especially because every picture I see of Zac Efron, he has a shirt off and he has like the abs of a God. And I'm just like, you know what? Fuck you, man. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think you are having abs like that? But, you know, um, and I, and I just kind of dismiss him as a pretty boy, you know, but in this movie, as a comedian, you know, he's a very good straight man to Adam Devine's kind of wacky character. And he's funny. He's very amusing. I, I, I was amused by him the whole time. So the, the film was funny. Uh, it's not uproariously funny. It's not, I, I wouldn't put it in like my top 100 comedies of all time for by no it's such the imagination, but it's certainly the kind of movie that, you know, if you are bored and you have a matinee, you want to go see a matinee, you want to kill a few, like an hour and a half, 
yeah, go for it. Or if not, it's the kind of movie that I could certainly see myself in like two or three years on a Saturday afternoon with nothing to do, flipping the channels, and it comes on TV. I'll sit and on watch TBS, it. most likely. Yeah, I'll sit and watch it. Uh, it's fine. It's a very entertaining comedy, and that's about it. So here's a side question now. So in a few years, when uh, when your daughter's old enough, are you going to put on a High School Musical for her? Um, if she wants to. I mean, I don't know about <laughs> High School. I know he. That's where he came from. But I, that was I, his literal debut, bro. It was, and I know, I know he was he was in High School Musical movies. He was in the Hairspray remake. Uh, he was in Neighbors, and he and he's been in a bunch of terrible romantic comedies. That's like all I know about him. So I think this is literally the first time I've ever seen him do anything. I might be, I'd have to look at his filmography, but I'm pretty sure this is it. Well, like um, with what Draven said, I think he found his calling with comedies because, like you said, like the romantic comedies been have been all shitty, you know. But the comedies, like Neighbors, Neighbors Two, this one. Um, they've been pretty solid for the most part. Yeah, he's funny. Like I, I think he's he's a funny guy. Like I don't have any like he, he's a good straight man. Now, what's interesting is what's going to happen when he like teams up with The Rock for Baywatch. I don't know that that movie was. I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll, but, we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, yeah, that's such an odd that's such an odd pairing right there. It's an odd pairing, but you know, both of them are have you know gotten more women than I will ever get in my life. Uh, but. <laughs> You know, it, it was funny. I like. I really liked Anna Kendrick here. Uh, I thought she was playing playing against type because she's usually like the the goody two shoes. Yeah. Uh, so I really did like her here. Aubrey Plaza, I just generally don't like. Um, she's too just, deadpan for my taste. You know. Just there's just something about her that bugs me, and I didn't like. You know, on Parks and Rec, she bugged me, uh, and on in other movies I've seen her, she's bugged me, and it's just like. There comes a point where, like, okay, that's not really a character you're playing. That's just kind of you. And <laughs> All right. It's doesn't. It just. I don't know. It bugs me. I don't know. She's not. She's. She's not someone I. She was funny. There were times she was really funny here, but in general, I don't. I don't. I, I don't. I think that's I, just how she is. She's just very deadpan herself. So she kind of. Yeah. Flex but at I it. don't mind deadpan. It's just her particular kind of deadpan. Just doesn't quite work for me yeah. uh and and she is not likable like her character is not likable in this movie like at all like and i feel like that like all the the three other main characters are likable but she's not yeah like, what's and, weird about that is like because they play the best friends and it seems like okay so you know anna kendrick she's getting over like she was left at the altar and all that so you have like the best friend who Aubrey Plaza plays who's kind of trying to help her like get over that and she's being supportive in that respect but then as the film progresses you see that you know she's kind of a piece of shit herself so she's not <laughs> the type of person she should have been around in the first place so that that that's kind of what was weird about it i guess because i mean they're both the, i mean they both do something kind of horrible to like just something kind of selfish right so like to compare them to their male counterparts in um wedding crashers right um which by the have... way the film is very self-aware of they know they're kind of not Really ripping off, but somewhat ripping off wedding crashes, and they freely admit it. Like they, with the they, they name yeah. dropped the movie in, in, in the, yeah. as well. But so to compare it to like the Owen Wilson and and Vince Vaughn characters, right? They both of those characters at the beginning of the film kind of know they're douchey, um, but they're charming. So like you kind of let them get away with it. Whereas like Aubrey Plaza and um, Anna Kendrick know they're being douchey. But really, only Anna Kendrick's a charming one, right? Like, right. Aubrey Plaza. I guess that's kind of the issue I have with it. Like, she doesn't have the charm to, like... To pull it off, up, really. To make yeah. up for, like, the douchiness that she's doing. Um, 
anyway, I, I probably we try to talk more than we need to about it. It's it's a fine movie. It's perfectly entertaining. Uh, Steve I didn't Rube even make some of my points yet. What's that? I didn't even make some of my points yet. I'm sorry. I took <laughs> no. Right. no, no, but it was a good discussion though. Like basically, um, you know, a lot of the best gags for this film were shown in the trailers. So you know, seeing it again, you're like, oh, I remember that, and it wasn't as funny as the first time I saw it. You know. Um, in the trailers, but like we talked about already, Zac Efron, Adam Devine are absolutely stellar, have amazing chemistry together. Um, they have perfect line delivery, as I kind of already alluded to earlier. A lot of the subpar jokes in this film worked just because of the delivery that either Efron or Devine kind of pulled off on that. Um, and like we also talked about already, Anna Kendrick is as cute as ever, and Aubrey Plaza is her kind of usual deadpan self, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but here it kind of like you know, it, it, it didn't work for me, honestly. Um, but it's easy to tell, very easy to tell throughout this whole film that the entire cast is having a ball. They're having the time of their lives filming this. And sometimes, you know, that could be the difference between a bad film and a mediocre film or even a mediocre film and a good film. You know, you'd rather have you'd rather watch a film with a soul to it, which this film had, in my opinion, than a film like, I don't know, it's not a comedy, but let's just say, for example, a recent example, Amazing Spider-Man, that had no soul to it. I mean, there's been recent films that have no soul to them, but this is not one of them because the entire cast believes in what they're doing. They're having a ball. Well, let's be let's be real here. They're also filming in Hawaii, which is kind of hard to be in a bad movie. <laughs> it's, it's hard to do that, but still. I mean, I mean it's just kind of hard to be in a bad movie in Hawaii, I'm just saying. That's, that's <laughs> true. That's true. But, I mean, but it, bottom line is they were having fun and that projected onto the off the film and onto the audience, which is always a plus. Um, some of the jokes were a little out there, which, I mean, it's a raunchy comedy, you come to expect that, but, you know, it, it's just weird, like, me personally, some of the gags, I didn't think they were going to take to the level they did, and, uh, when they actually did, it's just like, wow, you actually did really go there. <laughs> it was, like, it's a little bit kind of shocking at first. Actually, but... which one are you talking about? Don't give out the gag, but what, what, what setup, what's the setup of the gag? Uh, the, the stable, the, the horse stable. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I literally looked at that. I'm like, wow, you literally went there. <laughs> I mean, after the shock wore off, it was funny. But I was like, at first, I was like, damn, <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway, though, but I mean, in the end, you know, there were enough gags throughout the film to keep me satisfied, make me laugh a little bit. And that's the point of the film. So, you know, I had a good time. And it's a... Uh, not something you like you said we're not to go see, but I'd I'd rent it or I'd catch it like on TV in a couple of years when it's on TBS or one of those other Comedy Central. Or Red Box is it's a good Red Box movie. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, uh, it's 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 fine. It's it's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. All right, so that's uh, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Um, our next film is one you did not see, so I want to kind of take actually the next two films you haven't seen, so I'm going to take the rate on these. Next couple films. Uh, our first one of this slate would be uh, The Purge Election Year. Now, overall, I'm a somewhat lukewarm fan of the franchise. I I remember being on the show a few years ago and just taking a shit on the first Purge film. And then coming back a couple years later with this, uh, Purge Anarchy and actually liking it a lot more than, than the first Purge film. Uh, this is the third film, which I'm hoping is the last, but knowing Hollywood, like we talked about earlier, horror films are very cheap to make, so probably won't be the last one. Oh, brother, but, I'm telling you right now, not to interrupt you, they will keep making these movies, and they will, and and, and when they finally feel like that, you think that they squeeze the last penny out of these movies, 
you're going to start seeing purge straight to video movies. I'm telling you, it's it, these are going to go on for a while for, for forever, it seems. But uh, um, I like to just throw out there that this is actually my personal favorite film of the three. Yeah, the, the third film is the better film. Uh, that's a rarity in, in things like this. But anyway, so to get a little bit into the plot. So actually, this is this is funny. I'm going to read you literally the uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, synopsis, and it goes something like this. James DeMonico returns for the third installment of the franchise starring Frank Grillo. That's it. That's their synopsis. So I want to go a little bit more in depth. So the film starts with a kind of a prologue sequence that takes place a year before the uh, the events of the Perth Anarchy, where you see, uh, um, what's your face, the senator, uh, Charlie Roan, who was played by Elizabeth Mitchell. You see her and her family as victims of the Perth. Like they're, being, they're literally tied up in a living room. And this maniac is, like, sitting there, like, debating, you know, how he's going to kill them, when he's going to kill them. And finally he decides to go, like, all right, so you're all going to die except for one person, and you get to pick who's going to live. And, and it's, like, it's very tension-filled, dramatic scene. And finally, it, after that, it just cuts to, like, I think 10 years later, whenever it is, and you see that, you know, it was uh, Charlie Roan who survived, and she's now a senator. And she's actually in the running for president of the United States. She is one of the candidates. Um, and her, she's running on the platform that she's going to end the purge. Now, obviously, the people on the other side of the aisle don't like that. And they kind of come up with this huge plot to have her killed during this year's purge. And uh, Frank Grillo, our boy Frank Grillo, who can do no wrong in my eyes, it seems, uh, he comes back as the, uh, the main character from Anarchy, who was uh, Leo Barnes. Um, and he's actually plays uh, Senator Roan's uh, bodyguard or her protection, like basically her Secret Service guy. Um, so finally, the purge commences after that, and all hell breaks loose. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, and I mean, Frank Grillo, he's just as badass as ever in this film. And I just felt I had to say that again. Um, but there's some great supporting performances by Elizabeth Mitchell as Senator Roan and. Uh, Micheletti Williamson, who we know as a Bubba from Forrest Gump, makes an appearance here as Joe Dixon, the local deli owner, who kind of plays a key role in this uh, this year's Purge as well. Um, the thing I liked, actually, about the other Purge or the Purge franchise in general is that the entire concept of the Purge is presented in a very shades of gray manner. And what I mean by that is there are good and bad aspects to the Purge. And as much as I hated the first film that aspect was hit home quite a lot in that film. That there's good about the Purge, and of course there's the inherently evil aspects of the Purge. In Election Year, the Shades of Grey kind of turn into black and white, and it becomes, if you support the Purge, you're evil and most likely a white conservative, and if you don't support the Purge, you're the good guys and most likely liberals. Um, but despite that narrative flaw, because it kind of takes the, the concept and kind of ruins it for me you know it, it, it's not about black and white it uh, I, the shades of gray is kind of what made the whole concept work in the first place so despite that narrative flaw in my opinion there's still some great action and tension here it's a very nice horror action um and some great jump scares at key points similar to the conjuring um i gotta tell you every time i hear that emergency broadcast announcement as the purge commences you know i get pumped up like the first film not so much the second film really took the concept and ran with it the way it was supposed to be run. And then the third film kind of built on that, uh, on what was done in Anarchy. Um, I also like that, um, you know, Frank Crillo kind of gets like, he, he was the lead in the first one. And in this film, he kind of got more of a, like, 
like his badassness was just like leveled up ten percent. Like he didn't become like ridiculous John Cena like Ethan Hawke did in the first one, but he was still like he, like his he just oozes charisma, and that's kind of what made I guess his character work. Um, like I talked about earlier, I'd like to think there won't be any more Purge films based solely on the ending of this film, but. Like we talked about, seeing as how these films are very cheap to make. I think this film had a $10 million budget and it made like ridiculous amount of money already compared to the budget. Um, we're probably going to see more Purge films in the future. But if this is the end of the franchise, which I'm sure it won't be, overall it's a pretty satisfying way to go out. I mean it had a great pace, good performances, and enough action to satisfy fans of the genre. Um, do I recommend it? If you're a horror fan, if you're a fan of the franchise, I definitely – I wouldn't go run out to go see. I'd probably wait for the Blu-ray DVD or the Red Box. But um, again, it's like one of those just acceptable films that I mean, if it's on TV on a Saturday night, you know, I'll watch it. And that's pretty much my thoughts on that. So if you think that this is the end of the Purge movies, I've got one word for you: Saw. Yeah, that. Let Let's not How get to that saw? right now. Oh, actually, I got two words for you. Paranormal activity. Talk about what that that should have been a one and done, to be honest with you. But you're right. I mean, it, it made ridiculous amount of money and they kept making more. Keep making more. It's gonna they just keep they will keep making them until it is no longer profitable. Uh and um you know, I, I, I saw the first film like probably actually I saw it for the first time this year. Um uh was it this year or maybe last year? It was recently. It was in, within the last year. And I was, you had, I remember, I had remembered your review and how you said that it, you know, uh, how it wasn't very good. And I watched it, and now, you know what? You're absolutely right. It was not. It was just so annoying that they had this great concept, and then they just went with your standard cut and paste home invasion movie, you know. And it was just like, all right. Uh, So it just kind of like such a great concept. Uh, It just, it's, it's annoying to me that it doesn't seem like they are really sticking to the concept and like trying to make it like fully explore it but um i will say this i made a joke about it on facebook but if, if the purge really existed let's face it you might have some murder sprees but most people would just be bit torrenting all night <laughs> or or looting some stores and smoking pot i mean they might loot some stores but but like the the, the it's not it wouldn't like break down like that i don't think but anyway yeah, I mean, they even say the announcement, they say all crime, including murders, all crime, which means, you know, smoking weed, you know, stealing, you know, all that stuff, you know, but they just focus on the murder because it's a horror film, so. Yeah. Eh, eh, okay. So, uh, uh, you, uh, you didn't really convince me to watch this one, so <laughs> I, I might I might watch it, but then I'd have well, to, okay, well, like I'd have to watch. Okay, well, here's my advice. Watch Anarchy. And then if you still – if you feel up to the, the this one, then you would watch it. But like if Anarchy doesn't convince you, then I would just say stop You know, because right. uh, Election Year is kind of in a similar – it's formatted similarly to, to Anarchy. So – all right. So uh, that's Purge Election Year. So uh, the next film is actually one that I saw today uh, as of this recording, and that's The Secret Life of Pets. Um, before I actually go into that, I'm just going to pull up a quick plot summary. Um, so, um, set in New York City, um, and the main character is a terrier named Max, who was played awesomely by our boy Louis C.K. That guy's another guy that can do no wrong in my eyes. That guy's just phenomenal. Everything he does, his stand-up, his acting, everything is just so awesome that he does. Um, so, it basically has to do with Max and 
all of a sudden his owner, Katie, who who's played by Ellie Kemper, um, she decides to bring home another dog, which was named Duke, played by Eric Stone Street of Modern Family fame. Um, as you can tell, even in real life, I mean, if you've, you're a pet owner and you try to get like one dog or one and one cat or two dogs living together, if they're not like getting to know to each other, like as, as puppies, you know, that can get kind of awkward in the house. So that's what kind of starts their little like antagonistic, like relationship. You know, Duke is kind of hogging everything and Max doesn't like that. He's moving in on his turf. So eventually, um, they get into a big fight as the dog walker is walking them in Central Park. They get separated from the the other dogs, and they basically end up lost in New York and lost in Brooklyn. So it becomes a, a story of them finding their way back home, as well as their dog friends, and not not dog friends. It's like their pet friends. You know, it's dogs and cats, even a hog that's played by our boy A. Brooks once again making an appearance. Um, basically trying to rescue their friends as well. So it kind of the plot kind of snowballs from that. Um, about this film, like it's Again, like we said with the Finding Dory review, it's not really much we can say about it because it is a kid's film. And as long as the kids are happy, then the film does its job. Um, but it's, it is a, a very feel-good hit, in my opinion. Um, Louis C.K., like I said, tremendous, tremendous as Max. Um, and then another stellar voice cast. You have, uh, like I said, Louis C.K., Eric Stone Street, um, Jennifer Arca Oh, I'm sorry. That's a typo. I meant Jenny Slate, uh, Kevin Hart, Ellie Kemper, Bobby Moynihan, Lake Bell, and among others. Uh, among the cast. Um, the animation is the uh, Minion Spickable Me quality, which is not bad, um, if not up to Pixar standards, in my opinion, because ju I just love the Pixar animation style so much, and the uh, kind of blockiness of the uh, Spickable Me Minions animation style. I think it's Illumination Studios that does it. It's, it's not up to that level, in my opinion, although it's still acceptable. Um, but I did love the way they animated New York. It just made the setting feel very larger than life. You know, Not that New York isn't, but it just added to the ore that the city already has. Um, and like Finding Dory, it has a very nice blend of kid adult humor. So there's something for everybody in there. Um, and I also love how like the story is like littered, littered with inside jokes for pet owners. So if you're if you're a dog owner or a cat owner, you're gonna find a lot of little gags there. You know, especially kind of true to heart, and you're just gonna enjoy it the entire way. Um, I couldn't help but think of this film after I came home tonight. And my dog greeted me, you know, run around, the, ran around the living room, so happy to see me. You know, I just got flashbacks to the film, and you know, it, it's very heartwarming. You know, um, there's an ending sequence that uh, I could have sworn somebody was chopping onions in the theater because, whew, uh, but not to get too much into that. But again, like Finding Door, it's great family fare, and uh, definitely, I definitely check it out. It's a very, very cute film. Yeah, it, it looks like. Uh, I'm sure, again, uh, once my daughter starts getting to the age where she can start watching movies, it's going to be one of those movies I'm probably going to – like one of the kind of movies I'll be seeing over and over again. Uh, it looked cute. Um, I don't know. I don't have much to say about it. It, it looked cute. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I saw the trailer like 100 times though. <laughs> That's true. I, I, I did see it more times than I probably wanted. Oh, and by the way, I mentioned Minions. There is a little short film before this called uh, Minion Mowers, which is about the Minions getting a job as lawnmowers for this elderly couple. And hilarity, or I should say non-hilarity ensues because it's just the same Minion shtick over and over again. You know, so, I mean, I know you didn't like Minions. I wasn't too keen on Minions either, but it's just the same, it's just the same shit, man. You know, so I just sat the there same like, shit. How are there still so many Ice Age movies? Why do they still keep making these fucking movies? <laughs> 
I have yet to see either, any of them. Like, I haven't seen one. I've seen but the every first time one. I That's see it. like the, the, the trailers, I'm just like, this looks horrible. This is like the kind of shit I don't ever want to watch. And like, I don't think that that little squirrel fucking thing is cute with the nut or whatever he's yeah. carrying around. Like, what the shit is this? Why do they keep making these movies? I don't know, man. I saw the first one. I mean, Ray Romano and Dennis Lee, we are like epic in that. But other than that, it was it was pretty forgettable. Um, I think I saw. I barely remember seeing part two, but after that, I haven't seen any of them. So, I don't know, man. I get hey, they're kids' movies. I guess they make money. So it's kind of like simple. I mean, I couldn't imagine that they're much cheaper than like horror films, though. But I mean, the Secret Life of Pets budget was seventy five million, and so far, I guess as of the weekend, it made like two hundred fifty three million because it's all the parents taking the kids out. So I guess that's where the money's made too. So that's Secret Life of Pets. And now finally, 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 we come to our second main event film. This one's going to be uh, – I don't think – okay. So I'm going to preface this with this. If you're looking for us to bury this film, I'd probably shut it off now and go find some random YouTuber who's bitching about this because there's no other reaction that they can have for it except bitching about it for probably stupid reasons. Um, but that's going to be Ghostbusters. So Adolfo – I'm going to give you the floor. Give us the plots or lack thereof or rehash plot of this film. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for us to bury this on the level of uh, uh, Batman v Superman or earlier on the show, Independence Day Resurgence, it's not going to happen. Yeah, you got you got uh, your burial film already, and this one's not it. <laughs> that, that isn't to say that that I that I um, I'm overly going to be overly positive about the film. But. Um, let's just get kind of into into it real quick. Uh, this is Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2016. Guess now we have to kind of differentiate which Ghostbusters we're talking uh, about. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is the much the very controversial uh, female led uh, Ghostbusters film with uh, Kay McKinnon, Mer- uh, Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, and Leslie Jones. Um, many people have had their opinion on this film even before the film came out. Many people, including you and I. Um, have had opinions about this film before the film came out. And now the film's out. It's out there for the world to see. And my general consensus is, eh. I mean, it, it's it's fine. It's fine. It, it's not a good film. It's not a bad film. It's just kind of there. You know? Uh, real quick, to get a plot summary, it is not a remake in the sense that, that it follows the exact same beats that uh, Ghostbusters one did. Some of them are there. Uh, they they are there are scientists that get kicked out of a college and you know start their business ghost hunting. That's absolutely there. Everything else is pretty much different though. Um, in this film, uh, Kristen Wiig's character and Melissa McCarthy's character, I forget their names, sorry, are uh, both both former best. I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. <laughs> yeah, they're both former best buddies that uh, grew apart. Um, because Kristen Wiig wanted to become like a serious, you know, professor at a, in a, at a college, and Melissa McCarthy kind of continued her kind of go uh, study into the supernatural. Um, uh, you know, at, at some point through kind of a contrived, uh, a contrived plot point, uh, they get back together again, which leads them to go investigate a real ho- real ghost sighting, which turns Kristen Wiig's character into a believer again. Uh, they decide to start a ghost hunting business uh, along with uh, Holtzman. That's the only character name I do remember, um, which who's played by uh, Kate McKinnon. Who's the best character in this movie, but let's and, get to that a little bit later. And they are all, and they are soon joined by uh, Leslie Jones's character um, as a uh, kind of an expert on New York City 
because she works in the subway or something. I guess that's why she's an expert. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so they they become you know a ghost busting team, and uh, they're stopping you know the the reason in 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 the first film, um, in the Ghostbusters, nineteen eighty four, there was basically. it was a, the, the reason all the ghosts started popping up was different than the reason um, this movie all the ghosts started popping up. And in, in, in Ghostbusters 1984, it's basically because uh, Dana's apartment was built on Spook Central. And uh, there's just a hive of like uh, supernatural activity. In this film, it's this one guy who named Rowan, who's like a schlubby janitor type, who I have to... I there is no way that anybody could ever convince me that that guy was not written to be and cast to be like the living embodiment of the internet troll that have been bashing this movie for months. <laughs> like, he, I mean, he has to be that. Um. Anyway, he's been he's a guy who's been bullied all his life, and he wants to destroy the world. So he has uh, been making these little devices that have been pulling spirits out from the, the from the other side, and that's why this recent uptick in um in supernatural activity he of course has a very uh armageddon apocalyptic plan to destroy the world uh and which he kind of starts to carry out and it's their job to stop him that's the plot of the movie um i didn't hate the film uh you know and and let's be let's let's kind of address the elephant in the room you and i were both very critical of this movie even being made in the first place uh and and as we've noted before um this is uh, not because we had – at least I'm going to speak for myself uh, – not because I had a problem with, with there being females in the in Come the on, leads. bro. Uh, you can speak for me on that aspect I just wanted to make – I'm just saying. Uh, but, okay, so neither one of us had a problem with the female leads in the, in the film um, uh, as far as female protagonists. Um, but there were plenty of other people – I mean here, here's kind of the history of this film, right? Uh for years and years and years, they wanted to make Ghostbusters 3. And Bill Murray was basically the one, the sticking point. that was just like, nah, I don't want to. Nah, I don't want to. And then another year would go by, and Dan Aykroyd would say, oh, we're very close. We got a script. We're very close to shooting. And then Bill Murray would be like, nah, I don't want to do that. And then finally, they, Sony, who owns the rights, just like, F it. We're, not, we're just not going to do it now. We're going to make something else. We're going to reboot it. We're going to start all over again. Um and then that's whenever Paul Fee got brought in and the idea to make it an all-female-led Ghostbusters team started. And that's when the internet went kind of crazy. Uh, and you had all of these kind of douchey, misogynist assholes come out of the woodwork saying, yeah, women can't be funny. You know, women can't be Ghostbusters. Uh, I Women ain't no afraid of no, no ghosts or blah, blah, blah. You know, all this stuff. And then there were guys like you and I who were like, the original Ghostbusters is a need to be remade. Uh, it's a good film as it is, and we shouldn't remake it. And then those douchebags started kind of copying our stuff and started to say, not just us, but like anybody who said that it was a bad idea to remake a movie. It's like, no, it's not that we're against women. It's just that we don't want to remake. And so then it made people like us look bad because it sounded, it sounded like we were kind of in the same camp when we weren't. Um, so and then the trailers came out and the trailers were atrocious. Yeah, they were not god awful. We talked about that in the summer preview show. Just god awful trailers. That's what I mean. The trailers themselves are what soured me on. It wasn't really the concept of the reboot. It was the trailers just made it look so horrible. You know. And the and the thing is, is like you know, um, you are a little younger than I am. So you came to Ghostbusters 
you know, as as an already legendary film, right? right. I came to Ghostbusters as a con- like as a contemporary. So uh, I, I I've mentioned it many times on the show before. Uh, I came I moved to the United States in 1985. Didn't speak a lick of English, and we had tapes of Ghostbusters and Back to the Future, and I watched those mm-hmm. tapes over and over and over and over and over and over again. Until and 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 I actually learned English just from watching those movies. And to me, it actually like there and it bothers me because so many people would say, "Oh, Ghostbusters hold a special place in my heart." It's like it actually holds a special place in my heart. Like it actually has. It's not. It's not just nostalgia for me. It is actually something that means something to me. Yes, so, you brought that up on the very first episode of this show when we were kind of get into your little background in film. You mentioned Ghostbusters, Back to the Future is how you learn English. Yeah, yeah so. and, and and I do not like the idea, and I still don't like the idea of remaking the film because, you know, there's 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 remakes and there's reboots. This was actually technically not a remake; it was a reboot because a remake is is uh, is really reserved for um, for films that are one and done, right? A reboot, this is a restart of a franchise. Uh, either way, I was not a fan of it. I would have preferred to have the ladies just be in like a Ghostbusters 3 and have cameos with the original guys and whatever. But it ended up being a reboot. Okay, fine. The reason I don't like that idea is that when you re- remake or reboot something, you should, first of all, you shouldn't remake classics because the classic is already a classic because of the, the high level of quality. Um, if you are going to remake a classic, you should have such an original twist on the idea that you either improve upon the original or you you know make it so different that you can't really be mad at it. And I'm going to give you some examples. Um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, Batman Begins. Those two film, those two reboots. First of all, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I mean, how much time had passed between that and the original? We're gonna forget the the Tim Burton one because that was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's do that. And, and it took the concept of of the Planet of the Apes and it, and brought it back to a prequel and rebooted the franchise and took and and they gave it a fresh spin on the whole thing and it ended up being very good. Uh, Batman Begins. Bat the Batman movies had fallen so far down in quality that the audiences wanted something new and they wanted it to be restarted because it was so shitty at that point good old shoemaker yeah so now you flip that with something like the amazing spider-man movies which was way too soon to reboot that series because they had even though spider-man 3 was a bad movie the first two films still had a lot of equity with the public and they weren't that far off uh time-wise to just suddenly be remaking them again um and and so, like, you have the, and I know I'm I'm kind of all over the place here, but I have a I have a final point I'm going to make with this. Um, so you when you have to when you're going to reboot a franchise, it has to be for good reasons. You have to have a good idea, and you have to execute it well. Um, and, and oh, also, the, I, I also want to say this about the people, even though there are other people out there that even if they weren't, um, uh misogynist douchebags they were still saying ridiculous things like oh hollywood's raping my childhood stop it like because they remake a movie does not mean that they are raping your childhood you survived the karate kid remake you survived the red dawn remake you survived the point break remake you can survive the ghostbusters remake it's still a bad idea but your your childhood is not being raped that's such a gross uh yeah 
exaggeration of things. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Um, so take all that into account. We did not go into this. We were very critical of the idea of this being made because both of us are probably very cynical as to how the Hollywood system works. And we probably knew that whatever they did was not going to be original enough or enough or, or, or uh, true enough to the source of two or anything that would set this apart as a good movie. Now we finally have the movie and here it is. And as I said before, it's just kind of okay. It's not enough to get mad about. It's not enough to get so like if you're if you're one of these assholes that got upset about these women, I, like there's not really anything to be mad about here. And but on the flip side, if you are uh, someone who's you know very pro feminist and wanted this movie to be like to like kick ass and be awesome, yeah, there's not really enough of that e- there either. It's just kind of a middle of the road summer action movie. It's not particularly funny. It's not particularly scary. It's okay. And that's about it. And that kind of turns out to be kind of the biggest disappointment of all. That it's just kind of there. Exactly. Which kind of drives home the point that if you're going to kind of just give this like disappointing, like middle of the road effort, why bother remaking it in the first place? You know, it's just, and that's, oh goodness. And that's my point. If you're not going to do something to revolutionize it or make it, you know, that different, then why do it? You know, absolutely spot on on all of that. It's just now just a couple of my points as well that we didn't touch. First of all, um, Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon were the MVPs of this film. I mean, Kate McKinnon was my favorite of of the four Ghostbusters. I mean, her character was unique enough, you know, like she, like, you know, you have to say like Miss McCarthy was supposed to be, um, uh, I think Egon, you could say, uh, Kristen Wiig's supposed to be Bill Murray, you know, you know, Leslie Jones is supposed to be the black guy, but Kate McKinnon just didn't really match any of the original four ghosts. She was like her own unique character. That's kind of what I like. I liked about it. I know. I, I would say that I would say honestly that I don't think that Kristen Wiig matches Bill Murray though. Cause he's not really the sarcastic dick that Bill Murray is. Actually, I don't think, I think the only one that really matches is, is, is Leslie Jones as the token black person. Like the black person, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, at least Kate McKinnon's character—it just seems like so, so. Not, I want to say original, but it seemed like so, like unique in the fact that it didn't really try to match any of the original personalities of the four Ghostbusters. Like it was just she was just her own character, which is kind of refreshing to see. Yeah, it, it, she was the best. I think she's probably the best character. Although I think sometimes she went a little broad with the with the stuff, like she, with the with the weirdness. Like there were times where I was like, okay, that was a little much, but all right. Um, but she was she was probably the best character. Yeah. Um, the what I found interesting now again I'm not sure how if you if this crossed over into your childhood or not. Did you ever watch the real Ghostbusters cartoon? Yes, I did. That okay. I remember. I actually I have more fond memories of the cartoon than I do of the actual films. Okay, be because the real Ghostbusters cartoon to me, I think that Kate McKinnon's look looks a lot like Egon on that show. Like with the wild curly blonde hair and like the goggles. Like she looks she reminded me of Egon on that show. You might you know, I haven't watched that cartoon in so long. I might have to revisit. I'm sure there's episodes on YouTube I could probably catch, but you might be right on that. And and I'm not saying she is the Egon equivalent. She may maybe she is, but it just um it just seems like from a um 
visual standpoint, she reminded me of the Egon in the cartoon show. Not Harold Ramis, but the Egon in the cartoon show. Um, what else? No, you're, but yeah, but that was my, yeah. But you're absolutely right about like with me, that was my thing. Compared to the to the film, it was, I was more about the cartoon. Like I had the toys, I had the cereal, I had the ecto coolers, which I'm probably drinking one right now. Actually finishing it up. Um, I had a, the the coloring books of the Ghostbusters. Like that, like the cartoon was more like my my thing. The films I got into later, but for me as a kid, it was the cartoon. Hmm. Um, I, I liked the cartoon when I was a kid. I, I but I was always a fan of the of, of the uh, of the the actual films. I saw Ghostbusters two in the theater, uh, and, and I, to me, when I first saw, and remember this is the eighties, so like trailer yeah. culture wasn't really a thing. So you only saw trailers when you saw them in the movie theater. Yeah. So you had no idea that there was going to even be a Ghostbusters Yeah, there too. was no, like, Fandango. There was no yeah. Rotten Tomatoes to see so, trailers. You just saw them when you were there. You just saw them when you were in the theater. And I don't remember what movie I was seeing what that I had gone to see whenever I saw a trailer for Ghostbusters 2. But when I saw the trailer for Ghostbusters 2, I about damn lost my mind that there was going to be a Ghostbusters 2. Uh, and I was... I went to see Ghostbusters two in, in the theater, so I that that uh, I have very fond memories of of of, of Ghostbusters. But um, so back to the film. Um, yeah, back, back to the acting a little bit. So Kristen Wiig was all right, not really at her top notch stuff. You know, I, I I loved her so much more in Bridesmaids. I mean, she made great eye candy here. I can't argue that. Um, Melissa McCarthy did nothing, bro. She was just like the the star name here. She did literally nothing. Like. What, what, what was the? I point? mean, her character did stuff, but she didn't. She her no, like her like she, like her performance her is just performance so forgettable. Yeah. It's like yeah. she it, like, she it, did it's, nothing. Yeah, it's because it's weird because you know I complained so much as like I whenever that she was cast as like oh Melissa McCarthy because I've been I've been on record as saying I'm not a big fan of her comedy, but she just doesn't she doesn't bring anything. She's like a blank slate to this. Like she didn't even do her stuff that I don't like. She just does nothing. It's just like, nothing. It's just so bland and unforgettable. I think it's Kristen just... Wiig is the same way. I think she's really forgettable in this too. In this too, they're both really forgettable, and they're the two big stars of the film. Yeah. And huh. it's like okay, um, it's it's, uh, yeah, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones are the real stars of the movie. Um, what about the um, I mean, seriously though, am I not wrong here? It, it, is Rowan the villain? Is he not? That guy is the internet troll. Like, <laughs> that is that guy is them writing is like, oh, you guys, you guys hate uh, hate the new Ghostbusters. Huh? Well, here we go. I'm, we're gonna make a character that's just you internet trolls, and that's that's what he is. That's what he is. Yeah, man. He, he even makes there he's there's even a point where like in in his like ghostly form when he when he like like uh like goes he says choose your choose your form you yeah. know it's like how about something familiar like this and then he gives him the old ghost but just him i'm like all right writers <laughs> i know what you're doing that's i joke. see right through your bullshit coffee <laughs> uh, uh, yeah okay you know um and you know what the villain's plan doesn't really make sense how did he build that thing like that big machine how the fuck did he build that how did know. he build any of the machines for that? He probably went during his breaks at the hotel, like during his lunch breaks. He just started building it over a year or two years. How did know? he get the materials to build something that gigantic is my point. We're, like, not supposed, it, we're not supposed to think about that. Come on, man. <laughs> come on. Oh, and did you catch that, like – and I'm not offended by this because, I mean, how many 
how how long has it been the opposite in 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 in, in cinema? But did you catch how like literally every man in the movie is either an asshole, a douchebag, or a moron? Yes. And yes, again, it doesn't offend me. It's fine. I don't. But care. I, but I went into the film but, like no, like people were already making those points like in their reviews. So I went into the film like kind of with that in the back of my head, and I saw it, and I was watching the film like they're pretty much spot on with this. Yeah, this is pretty like yeah, everyone. Huh. It, it's it's not. It does not help the uh, the cause that the only people that are gonna they're gonna want to watch this are man hating feminists. It's because because it really really does not portray men in a good light. And again, men have not had it bad ever. So it's it's okay. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not offended, but it's a little transparent. You know what I mean? It's a li- it's very it's not subtle at all. Yeah, and uh, uh, and, and speaking of men, uh, Chris Hemsworth, you know the uh, the. He Thor, actually, Thor to Liam Hemworth's Thor Jr. played the male Janine here as a complete moron. Um, but you know what? There were some gags from his that worked, I think. I, actually, I, I got I, a little chuckle out of me. I actually did like his character a lot. I thought he was funny. <laughs> I, did, I did think he was pretty amusing. <laughs> I, 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 I like that at the end after everything is going down, he's just like eating a sandwich. Yes. No, I, I actually chuckled at the part where like he like they tell him pick up the phone, he picks it up, he starts talking all of a sudden he hangs up and they're like Why'd you hang up the phone? Like, oh, I didn't like that conversation. I just know <laughs> that that got a, a chuckle out of me. But but the, the thing about this, so I guess the story of this film is that like I was sitting there expecting like to belly laugh like I did for Mike and Dave, and I all I all I got out of me was just slight chuckles, like from that gag, from like the other gag of Chris Hemsworth, like with the sandwich. You know, it got chuckles out of me, but it didn't get like belly laughs. You know, because all the a lot of the gags here were just so cheesy and corny and you can see them coming from a mile away it just it didn't help you know yeah they just didn't do anything for me like they they it was the comedy wasn't it wasn't funny it just was kind of and it wasn't really scary like the first ghostbusters when i saw it was a little scary like the demon dogs that still think to this day are kind of scary looking right yeah oh Um, yeah absolutely and like i actually so like if you watch the first movie even in 2016 the when Sigourney Weaver, when Dana is in that chair and fucking hands pop out of that thing and drag her to a closet, yeah, that's actually really pretty scary. It, it, it looks good. So there's, I don't feel like there's any moments like that here. Like the first ghost, not that scary. The the little dragon guy at the rock concert wasn't really that scary. Um, those are the two major ones, right? And then all the stuff at the end. But like, Slimer, I mean Slimer, Slimer. Like it didn't like none of it was really all that scary to me. Like I didn't. And, and the other thing is, whenever they were fighting the ghosts at the end, they were quote unquote killing them, but they're ghosts. ghosts. So, so how really do you kill, kill them? them. Yeah. But they were going down, like so they they'd hit them with something, and the ghosts would like fall down and stuff. And it's like, but wait, no, that's not how ghosts work. Like it, it, <laughs> that was that that was like, huh? Because they didn't have like the the containment the the trap. They didn't have the ghost traps, so they were just like beating them down and they would just fall over and stuff. And I was like, but that's not how it works. It just, that was a little, that, that was like, ugh, all right. Um, I do like how they like throughout the entire, like what first hour and 20 minutes of this film, they call it, like one ghost. And then, you know, then finally at the end, they kind of had like this army of ghosts that they're fighting, not capturing. But I just found that kind of odd too. Yeah. All of a sudden they're badasses. And you know yeah. what? You know what? I, I'll, I'll let that one slide because how many movies have you seen with guys where like you know 
in one scene they they have like one scene of them being cool and then the rest of the movie they're fucking amazing so like i'll give them that one because it happens in guy action movies all the time so i'll I'll, I'll let that one slide all right but fair point um I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to find some positives. I did like Chris Hemsworth. I thought he was funny. I like Kate McKinnon. I like Leslie Jones. Oh, let's talk about this. How forced were those cameos? Yeah, the cameos aren't good. The only actually, I did like. I actually liked the Dan Aykroyd one. I did ah, like. Ah, yes. Um, because he was basically playing Dan Aykroyd, and he was kind of funny. Um, but Bill Murray was not good. Um. Ernie Holm, or not Ernie Holmes. Ernie, Ernie Holmes. Hudson. Bro. Ernie Hudson. Uh, that was like, that fell so flat. Um, Annie Potts was, eh, whatever. And am I missing anybody? But you oh, know what? I, was okay. Now, about Annie Potts, bro, that actually got legit applause from the audience, at least really? when I was watching it. She was like the only one that got applause, that, that, which I found kind of weird. I, I figured if anyone was going to get applause, it'd be Bill Murray. But she got applause, bro. Yeah. Oh, and then there's the Harold Ramis, which I appreciated. Yeah, it's um, good. I- I'm glad they at least gave him a shout out in some way. In in the in a freaking Tywin Lannister's uh, office there. <laughs> um. Well, well, now before we kind of wrap up this film, I kind of have a question for you, and I'm gonna give you a Leslie Jones Leslie Jones's character Patty's question, and that's what's a Zool? Uh. So we know a sequel's coming. Yeah, I guess. I mean, what's the box office so far? I don't know if you could look that up. Uh, hold on. I, I had I have it up in my notes here. I'll give you one second. I will let you know. I think it's doing okay. Um, I think Secret Life of Pets is winning the weekend. Um, let's see here. That's a pretty safe bet. I mean, the kids' films usually, depending on the strength of like the recent releases, they'll win like two, three weeks in a row. You know? Yeah. Hold on. Box office mojo. Here we go. Uh, it's looking to get about sixty-five million for opening weekend. That's not bad. That's a pretty decent amount. Um, what's the budget though? See. Budget is pretty high. Budget's one forty-four. Oh, oh, so they got a, a while then. But they got a while and, then, to... and then I I read something that they is not going to be released in China. Oh, I didn't I didn't know about that. I heard something about that. I'm gonna have to look that up now because I did because that that's big. That's huge. If they, they can't get released in China because China's a huge market. Yeah, so this one's a little more interesting because I wonder <clears throat> it might it might have trouble at the box office um, because it is, 65 is pretty good, but it had a high production budget and a very high uh, marketing budget. I'm going to assume because I saw the ads to that everywhere. Um, yeah, it might struggle to make its money back, but I still think they'll go ahead with a sequel. Uh, because for no other reason, um, yeah, check your thing. I just sent you the link. Ghostbusters denied release in China from Hollywood Reporter. That's huge, bro. I didn't even know that. Why does it say that? Hold on. Uh, where's the article? No, I have it. I clicked on it. Um, let's see. The world's most populous nation, number two film market, won't be joining the fun anytime soon. The Sony tentpole has been denied oh, release in it China. It promotes cults or superstition. <laughs> those, uh, those Chinese man, they're, they're something. All right then. Uh, the original Bill Murray starring 1984 classic, which never screened theatrically in China, was translated uh, as five characters, literally meaning "Ghost Catcher Dare Die Team." <laughs> I just read that. 
The reboot, <laughs> however, has been reworked, reworked as meaning superpower dare die team. <laughs> Yo, when I when I see these Japanese or Chinese names of like films of like American films, like some of them are like the wackiest shit ever. <laughs> There's another good one that I can't remember. Um, I, it might have been a Batman film that they renamed like something funny, but anyway, um, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll go ahead with the sequel because I think that that they will um, they'll make their money back in 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 home media and and everything like that. I think it'll be fine. I think you'll get another one out of this. And you know what? I don't have the energy to be upset about it anymore. It's there. It's out. I mean, okay. I hope it succeeds for them. I hope that, you know, because as I said earlier on my Facebook, you know, I, I do want, I do want like, you know, female led action movies for my daughter to have. Like, you know, it's, it's, I want her to have that kind of stuff in her life so she can be, so you can look up to like women and think, oh, that's awesome. So I want it to do well. I want, I want that to happen. I just, I just think this particular movie, uh, I don't think started off on the strongest uh, footing. Uh, it was okay. Um, it, you know, it was fine. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that they killed that dance sequence, although we did still get to see you it. still got to see it in the credits, yeah. Because I guarantee you, that dance sequence, you know, that was, I took, that probably took like two or three days, you know, they had to hire a choreographer, they had to hire all these dancers, and they didn't want to just throw that money down the drain, so they're like, we gotta stick it in somewhere, stick it in the credits. Like, you know what I mean? That way nobody can bitch about it. Yeah, yeah because nobody can bitch about it there. Uh, although, I'm going to get a little crude there. Uh, I, you know, in, night, in the night, Ghostbusters 1984, we had a blowjob ghost. Where was the going down on the, where was the ghost going down on one of these ladies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just watched the original a couple days ago. Actually, right before I saw the other one. Right? Like, it's such a weird joke to have in the middle of that movie. Because it's yeah. like a bitchy movie, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's that Ackwood getting a blowjob from a from ghost. From a ghost. Which I never understood as a kid, by the way. I did not get what was happening there. Like, I just, like, uh, his pants are unzipping, and then he ha- makes a weird face. I wonder what that ghost is doing to him. Uh, and then, like, uh-huh. it's just a weird, random, throwaway joke. Well, I like there has to be like there should have been a ghost going down on like Kristen Wiig. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, I mean, to kind of wrap up the film, uh, I said this on my uh, on my review on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I could sum this film up in one word: it's harmless. I mean, all the fanboys getting their panties up in a bunch over this look pretty silly right now. I mean, it's not. The greatest thing in the world by any means. Nowhere near touches the legendary status of the original Ghostbusters. But it's not as bad as everybody was predicting. Like, come on, people. It's just there. It's acceptable. It's just a harmless film. You know, um, can we recommend it? I don't know. I mean, cause it's not really that great enough to recommend, but it's not really that bad to completely rip apart. So, I mean, it's just it – basically, when it comes to this film, audience, do whatever you want. If you want to see it, go see it. If you don't want to see it, then don't see it. I mean – there's really nothing else we can say or add to kind of convince you. I guess it's kind of. I guess the thing is, like, if if you, um, if you already were thinking like, you know, fuck this movie, you're not gonna like it. You're just not. It's nothing in this movie does is gonna make you. It's gonna convince you it's good. Um, if you're if and if you on the other end of the things, if you were like super looking forward to it because yay girl power, you're probably gonna love it because you were looking forward to it. Uh, for everyone in the middle. You know, it just, I would just say this. 
if the commercials do it for you or if you like the idea, then just go watch it and make up your own mind. Uh, otherwise, if you couldn't care less, then skip it. Um, it it's, it's just it's overall it's just okay. Um, and I, I guess the uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. I totally just lost my train. <laughs> That's totally up spacey, man. I just fucked up. Wow. Well, I mean, you were saying, you know, people in the middle, you know, either decide you want to see or don't see it. You know, it's. And I, yeah, that was... I, don't, I don't know where I was going with that. I just cut it off after that because I don't remember. Gotcha. All right. Well, I mean, with that, we're going to wrap up Ghostbusters and we're going to wrap up for respective episode 82. Any questions, comments, feedback, just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at fpmoviepodcast on Twitter. Uh, Adolfo, um, just a side note. By the time uh, this drops, did you put up the uh, on the waterfront yet? I didn't because I've been just fucking busy as hell. Yeah, that... uh, this by the time this drops, it should be up. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna start it from here. So all right, folks. Um, so we've pretty much talked about everything we've seen this summer. So we're kind of put a little catch up with this episode. So you probably won't see us again until August for Force Perspective. Um, definitely Suicide Squad will be the big film on that on that episode. But uh, uh, we do have the Essential Films podcast, and I'm gonna let Adolfo plug now that we're um, it's kind of like an in between episode for you guys. So after this one, you're gonna have another Essential Films, and then you'll have the uh, August Force Perspective summer kind of wrap up type of show. But Adolfo, you can go ahead with the Essential Films plug. Yeah, so the Essential Films podcast. Please look it up on iTunes. The Essential Films podcast. Uh, this on this next episode, we will be discussing on the waterfront. Uh, we'll be discussing everything, including the uh, all the controversy with Aliyah Kazan and his uh, ties to you know uh, communism and his renouncing his communist friends and the McCarthy hearings and and the HUAC and. Uh, all that we we discuss, um, and uh, and the controversy of him at the Oscars, where like nobody stood up for him whenever oh, uh, he's that getting was, his yeah, life, that was something. lifelong uh, lifetime achievement award. Um, and uh, yeah, and kind of discuss his kind of place in history and everything. Um, that should be up by the time this uh, episode of Force Perspective drops. Um, so you get a two so for one up. this week, folks. So look look for that one. Uh, Look for that one and uh, follow me on Twitter at Essential Films and like the Essential Films on Facebook, please. Now, are we going to reveal to them the uh, next uh, Essential Films uh, after On the Waterfront, or should we let them listen? Let them listen. That's a teaser, man. Let, let them, them listen. listen yeah. Find out. <laughs> let them listen to find out what the next one. Uh, what the next one is. Yes. All right. the, the only ones that, and just so you guys know, the only we, we at the ver- at the end of every show we 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 uh, power up the uh, random movie generator which picks a classic essential film for us to review on the next week's show. The only two that I know ahead of time that we're gonna do is for our Halloween episode and for our Christmas episode. So those two have already been picked. Everything else is up for grabs. All right. So definitely check out the on the waterfront episode, which should be up at the same time as this show. So you get a, a two for this week, and uh, at the end of that show, you'll be able to hear what's coming up next on Essential Films. And uh, like I mentioned for Force Perspective, um, you're going to see us again in August when we discuss Suicide Squad, uh, possibly Jason Bourne. I'm going to try to head out to see that one, and I don't know what else comes out in between now and then, but uh, um, whatever we see, we'll talk man. about it. I think that, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've re- I really wanted to go out and see Swiss Army Man, but it left theaters already. 
and didn't even show up on my neck of the woods. Yeah, I, I figured it would show up like in the next couple of weeks, but no, it's it's already out of my art house. It's already gone. Uh, and I uh, really wanted to see it. I that that might have to wait for like VOD for me because it's already gone. I'm really upset about it because I really wanted to see it. Yeah, same here. I hope and, that's and I also really my... want to see Neon Demon, which is already out of theaters too. Neon. Oh yes. Oh. So yeah, well that'll probably have to be like a late review, like in October or whenever it comes out on VOD for both of them actually. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, so that's going to do it for episode 82 with Dolfo. Any final words before we get out of here? No, uh, you know, it's it's been kind of a lackluster summer, so hopefully you guys have still been enjoying our show, regardless of the fact that uh, some of the movies out there haven't been as great. Uh, I think so far, still the, the best movie this summer, as far as Blockbuster goes, is still the first movie, big Blockbuster, and that was Captain America. I don't think we've had I really... Agree really top that in terms of nothing i'm just talking blockbuster movies uh as far as that goes i don't think we've topped that yet so uh yeah so hopefully suicide squad will, will be good and we'll, we, we shall see yeah and uh hopefully in september after uh all that has kind of died down we can bring draven back on we'll do our little ranking like we did last time for the uh summer well, films of the year here, here's actually a question for you um and you can decide to leave this in or not. Are you planning to uh, see the Batman Killing Joke one night only in theaters? That is another – there you go. Yes, I am. That is another uh, film that we can discuss on the uh, next episode, on episode 83. So there you go. Thanks for watching me. I do have a ticket for that already. Um, and despite my better judgment, I did, um, I did order a copy of the – ultimate edition of batman v superman and once i get that i will oh boy and if we and if i watch it before our next show i will give some thoughts on it oh man i mean you did not for nothing i will give you credit you did mention when we buried the film that you were planning on buying it anyway because you like to have those films even if you're not going to watch them like to have just to, to your completionist so you like to have that you know it's part of your collection for some things i am for some things i'm not like i'm not going to get independence day resurgence for example right? <laughs> like uh, i'm just not going to um but for other things i am so like it just i just kind of like to have a set of things like i have all the other batman movies everything all the other superman movies i may as well have this one um so and if i'm gonna have this one i'll get the ultimate version just to see if if there's a, a, an improvement or not uh my i tend to doubt it um but because the the last thing that thing needed was more <laughs> it needed less not more but whatever so if if i kept the, uh, uh get it before our next episode drops i will share some thoughts on it well that might come in handy because like i said it's probably just jason Bourne and suicide so we're going to talk about for august so let's throw in some batman let's throw in some uh Donna Justice Ultimate Cut. So there you go. Um, uh, all right. So with that, on behalf of Adolfo, I'm Sports Sky 515. Thank you for joining us for this episode. And until next time, we are out of here. Take it easy, everybody.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.